Audio Jungle. California joined the growing list of states ending mask mandates. Will New York be next? Also news on J&J's COVID vaccine, the company's slowing production, and it comes as the new sub-variant, even more transmissible than Omicron, is spreading in the U.S. The busiest bridge in and out of the U.S., partially blocked by truckers protesting vaccine mandates. The traffic nightmare. The husband of Vice President Kamala Harris evacuated from a high school event while the Secret Service rushed him out. The Ukraine crisis, what France's president said Vladimir Putin pledged to him, and the reaction from the Kremlin. The stunning letter from former Pope Benedict, why he is asking for forgiveness. And the major shakeup for Peloton, what it means for customers. This is NBC Nightly News with Lester Holt. Tonight as COVID infections and hospitalizations drop dramatically, more states are easing mask restrictions, but there's growing concern about the production of Johnson & Johnson's vaccine overseas as health officials watch new variants closely. Miguel Almaguer with more. Tonight reports a critical supplier of COVID vaccines to much of the developing world, Johnson & Johnson has quietly shut down production at a plant overseas. Amid growing concern, the virus will continue to mutate, especially if developing countries don't have quick access to the vaccine. J&J says it continues to manufacture its vaccine around the clock and around the world. It all comes as Omicron's subvariant BA2, even more transmissible than the original highly contagious mutation, now accounts for nearly 4% of new cases in the U.S. Even if the United States is highly vaccinated, but other countries remain unvaccinated, that adds to variants that can accumulate, cause us to have surges. But tonight, a turning point for the U.S., where cases are down 65%. Several states announcing a plan to end mask mandates. Among them, California, where effective a week from today, mandates for the vaccinated will be lifted. Though counties like Los Angeles and San Francisco say masks will still be required, as they are on public transportation transportation statewide and in schools K through 12. Given the increase in population immunity, uh, it makes sense. Tonight, our nation facing a new stage of the pandemic. Masks will still be required here in Los Angeles on Sunday for the Super Bowl, though fans have widely ignored the regulations in previous games. 
Lester. All right, Miguel, thank you. That protest by truckers over vaccine mandates in Canada goes on tonight, right at the U.S. border. Truckers use their rigs to shut down the bridge between Detroit and Windsor, Ontario. That's the busiest land crossing between the countries. While traffic in both directions was halted for hours, U.S.-bound lanes have reopened. In Washington, a bomb threat today at a high school where the husband of Vice President Harris, Doug Emhoff, was attending an event. The Secret Service evacuated Emhoff from the event, marking Black History Month. Students and teachers were cleared from the building as well. Authorities searched the school but found no sign of explosive. Let's turn to the crisis in Ukraine now. The French president sounding an optimistic note tonight after he held hours of talks with Russian President Vladimir Putin, all while Ukraine is still preparing for a possible invasion. Richard Engel is there. Possible positive signs from French President Macron's marathon diplomacy meeting for five hours with President Putin. Today, Macron arrived in Ukraine, meeting President Zelensky and sounding optimistic, saying Putin had told him he won't be initiating an escalation of the crisis and that Russia will pull its forces out of Belarus soon. Though the Kremlin says no deals were made. A breakthrough? Maybe. But according to the Pentagon, Russian troops are still increasing on Ukraine's borders, especially now in Crimea in the south. Intelligence estimates? Ukrainian forces would fight back, but likely have to go underground within days of an invasion to form a resistance. NBC's Matt Bradley is with Ukrainian forces who are urgently preparing. Ukraine is littered with these old Soviet-era tanks, and the idea here is to refurbish them and turn them into sparkling new, sophisticated weapons of war. Military and intelligence officials tell NBC News Russia is expected to have enough force in place to invade all of Ukraine in the next two to three weeks. But it may not go that far. Russia's parliament is expected to vote on recognizing an area in Ukraine controlled by Russian-backed separatists. So Putin could decide to take over a part of this country he already controls. Lester. Richard Engel, thank you. And the Ukraine crisis is among the many issues we'll discuss when I sit down with President Biden for an interview, an exclusive interview on Thursday. An extraordinary letter today from former Pope Benedict asking for forgiveness after an investigation of sexual abuse by priests who reported to him when he was a cardinal in Germany, but maintaining his own innocence. Here's Tom Costello. From Rome today, former Pope Benedict's personal secretary reading Benedict's request for forgiveness amid allegations he failed to take decisive action against abusers decades ago. The Pope Emeritus denying any personal wrongdoing, insisting he only served as Archbishop of Munich for less than five years in the late 70s and 80s. 
but acknowledging mistakes in how abuse cases were handled, offering his heartfelt request for forgiveness. I have had great responsibilities in the Catholic Church, he writes. All the greater is my pain for the abuses and the errors that occurred in those different places during the time. Benedict's letter follows an independent German investigation that found then-Cardinal Ratzinger failed to act against four abusive priests in Munich. Today, some survivors of clerical abuse say the letter isn't enough. How quickly he wanted to demonstrate that he was only an administrator in Munich for less than five years, almost to say this wasn't my problem. Benedict's attorneys insist at the time he did not know about the predator priest's criminal histories in Munich. In the letter today, he speaks about the fact that quite soon he believes he will be at judgment's door, and he personally feels clear of conscience. Nine years after retiring, a still evolving and controversial legacy. Tom Costello, NBC News. In 60 seconds, the major shakeup at Peloton, what it could mean for millions of customers, and the wild west of the marijuana business, boom times in Oklahoma. Peloton is switching things up in a big way. The fitness company replacing its CEO and slashing thousands of jobs after a rough ride in recent months. Our Emily Iketa with what that means for its millions of members. Y'all look good. Y'all look focused today. A shakeup at Peloton. Now taking the reins, former CFO of Spotify and Netflix, Barry McCarthy. He's replacing Peloton's co-founder, John Foley, who helped grow the company's following to more than six and a half million members. Peloton was one of the hottest stay-at-home stocks of 2020. What's up, when sales surged early in the pandemic, Peloton reached a value of almost $50 billion. But the fitness company has struggled to maintain its momentum. Peloton's value is down 75% from its peak last year. Why has the past year been so tumultuous for Peloton? Everyone was rushing to buy a bike or a treadmill because they could no longer access the gym with pandemic-related restrictions so that growth wasn't going to last forever. Peloton's image also taking a hit when television shows depicted characters suffering heart attacks after riding the company's bike. John! Outgoing CEO Foley calls it a humbling time and introduced a plan that will slash $800 million in annual costs. That includes cutting 2,800 employees and abandoning plans for the company's first factory. But among the sweeping changes, a glimmer of hope. Peloton stock up 25% today, even as experts say the chance for a buyout from a company like Amazon or Nike is waning. I think today you're seeing the company really lay the groundwork for its own turnaround plan. 
Peloton members can breathe easy tonight. The company says there will be no changes to its roster of instructors or programming content. Lester. Emily Aketa, thank you. Now to the cash crop changing all the rules. We've seen the marijuana industry expand rapidly in states like California and Colorado. But tonight, Morgan Chesky takes us to the heartland where the legal pot business is booming and regulators are racing to catch up. It's not the kind of well-oiled machine you'd expect to see in Oklahoma. But make no mistake, folks here know a boom when they see one. We're in one of the reddest states in the country, standing in a room full of marijuana. Unbelievable. No one thought we would be here even three years ago, right? Including David Lewis, who left a job in staffing to form Stability Cannabis. Now, three years after the state legalized medical marijuana, more than 100 employees make sure their supply meets the surging demand. All it took to start? $2,500 for a license to grow with no cap on quantity. So about how many plants in this one room alone? About 3,000 cannabis plants in just this one room. And you'll have this on a store shelf how soon? In just about 90 days. Their customers, around 400,000 Oklahomans with medical marijuana cards, who can buy any cannabis product legally sold within state lines. Oklahoma now home to more than 2,000 marijuana dispensaries, more than Colorado, Oregon, even California. The draw? Ease of access and fewer regulations than competing states. We're witnessing the, the second Wild Wild West to California. Which is exactly why best friends Dustin Hyman and Django Evans traded California for Oklahoma to open the own shop. Who are your customers? It's anyone from a school teacher to an ex-athlete to a corporate guy to an 80-year-old grandma. But the new green rush, not so cut and dry. The state agency tasked with regulating is struggling, telling us they've only been able to inspect about a quarter of the more than 9,000 licensed farms. We have not been able to keep up with the demand. Demand so high, Quiet farm towns are finding this cash crop comes at a cost. Well, we're hearing a lot of stories in rural Oklahoma about the water resources overtaxed and overused, along with an immense uptick in the use of their electric grids. With Oklahoma cannabis on track this year to surpass a billion dollars in retail sales, lawmakers are proposing tighter rules and higher taxes. But with a business model other states are no doubt watching, it's clear this boom's taken root. Morgan Chesky, NBC News, Oklahoma City. Tonight's primetime coverage of the Olympics begins at 8 Eastern time here on NBC. That's nightly news for this Tuesday. Thank you for watching, everyone. I'm Lester Holt. Please take care of yourself and each other. Good night. Audio Jungle.
Welcome to the GCN Tech Show. I'm Oliver Bridgewood. And I'm Alex Payton. Coming up this week, we've got some details on newly crowned world champion Tom Pidcock's bike and some more information on our quest to find the most desirable bikes in the world. In the world. The world. Also, our main talking point this week is going to be why you ride slower in winter. So first off, an update on the most desirable bike in the world. Voting for the first round is done, but we did notice lots of comments underneath last week's show from people saying that we'd missed bikes out. Which is great because we asked you to do this and we knew that we would. And as promised, we are going to create another round of voting with bikes that you've asked for that we missed out. Starting with the Ribble Ultra in unicorn blood. A lot of love for that bike in the comments. Ah, uh, just to be clear, you should tell people that unicorn blood is not an actual colour. It's a name you made up. And now people are walking into the ribble shop and asking for it. Yeah, thank you, suggestion boy. Get back to work now. <laughs> anyway. So we're also gonna add in the Ridley Noah Fast aero bike used by Lotto Sedan. Also, the Time Out Duez 01. Yeah, which is a knitted resin transfer molded frame, uh, just 890 grams and available in Rimmore Disc. Cool and bike. then we're also gonna add in the Look 795 Blade RS, which is the French brand's flagship aero model. Yeah, pretty cool. So, we will reveal the full final results of the most desirable bike in the world next week. So make sure you click on the polls uh, in the description. I'll take you through the app and you can vote. So, you know, ultimately you guys decide. But we have had a first round of voting. Yeah. So let's see where we're currently at and what's made it through so far. So from round one, the first Grand Slam showdown was between the Pinarello F, the Colnago C64, the Tarmac SL7, and the official Bataillon Power Plus. Tough heat. It was a tough heat. And the winner was the Pinarello F. Just. 37% of the votes. Yeah got through. The next heat was between the Canyon Aeroad CFR, Bianchi Specialissima, Cervelo S5, and Tom Sturdy's 3D titanium printed bike. And the Canyon Aeroad took it 39% of the vote. Next next vote was between the Orbea Orca, the Trek Madone, Cannondale Super 6, and the Villia Zero. And with 35% of the votes, Trek Madone. Another pretty through. close heat. Mm. Yeah, Trek Madone through. And the next heat was between a Parley uh, Z0, a BMC Team Machine, and a Moots Vermoots. And the BMC Team Machine stole that one. Strong, strong. 64% of the votes, that one. Yeah. So then the final poll that we created from last week, why we had the giant TCR Advance, Maria Sculptura, and the Factor O2 Vam, and the Scott Addict RC. And Super this close. was very close. Just a couple of percentage points between each of those different options there. And 
28% went to the Scott Addict RC. Scrape through, scrape through. But yeah, that's the first round of voting, so. Yeah, most important point, head on to the links down below and vote on the next round because we really need to keep this going. Mm. Right then, on to our main talking point. Why do you ride slower in winter? This is a question we get asked a lot here at GCN. There's actually some interesting science and a number of reasons behind it, some of which can be found by analysing big data. Oh, I love big data. <laughs> a little bit too much. Yeah, maybe. Anyhow, first let's confirm that we are actually slower in winter and we're not just imagining it. So, the website mywindsock.com has analysed over 2 million rides uploaded by users with power data and from that they can see a clear trend. So in February, you average, well we all average, 26.6 kilometres per hour all of the activities uploaded yeah compared with in september 30.2 kilometers per hour that's a big difference like, yeah, what's, the reason? what's the reason for that well there are several reasons according to my windsock we're less aero in winter 7.5 percent less aero i knew you'd get aero roped into this obviously yeah. Which well, is it's fact. Anyway, uh, this is something that we explored in our winter bike video recently. And it's, well, there's a number of reasons, but you're less aero because you're wearing warmer, bulkier clothing. Yeah. Uh, and perhaps your bike has mudguards or fenders fitted to it as well, which is going to slow it down. And they found that on average, you're looking at 0.8 of a kilometre per hour slower with your winter kit and being less aero, which is about 10 watts than, mm. you, than you are in summer. That's not the only reason though, because my windsock also analyzes regional weather data. And they found that on average in winter, the air density is much thicker, 5.7% in fact. On average? On average. Whereas compare that to the summer months when the air is much thinner and faster, they found that you could be looking at about a 0.5 kilometre per hour loss on your average speed, or around 7 watts. Yeah, hmm. and, and in July, the air's actually at its less, least dense on average. So that's its fastest. Yeah. Hmm. The third big reason is we just don't pedal as hard in winter. According to my windsock, um, apparently you put out on average 16% less power in February compared to September, the most powerful month, where they found on average people are putting out 27 watts more and are two, two kilometers an hour faster as a result. And there's a number of different reasons for that. Generally, most of us are less fit in the winter. And also because we've got not so good riding conditions, the roads are a bit slippier, we tend to ride a little bit easier and a bit steadier. And many of us throughout the winter months won't be racing. So we'll just yeah. generally have a more relaxed approach to our rides. Yeah, I think you're just probably gonna have average powers that are lower because you don't, yeah, you're yeah. not likely. You're not in the swing of racing, are you? Yeah, and I think mm. there's a motivation 
aspect to it as well, a psychological yeah. aspect to it. Maybe riding slower equipment, feeling slower. Winter group rides, you're chatting away with your friends. Yeah, and like yeah. winter tires slow you down. They've got higher rolling resistance. That's, yeah. that's got to be a, a factor too. But, you know, I think this is, you know, really sort of interesting stuff. And the important thing to remember with these stats from my windsock is their averages and there are likely to be people that are actually faster in, in winter, but also yeah. people that have a much bigger swing in, in these averages. So if you live in, say, Canada, which we know many of you do, you always let us know in the comments how yeah. you're always toughing it out in blizzards when we're just moaning about a bit of drizzle. Yeah, but, um, leaves on the road. <laughs> yeah, But, I mean, you're likely to see a much bigger swing in your seasons from, you know, September or August is going to be way faster for you yeah. relative to winter. So, well, there's our analysis of some of the data, but we really want to know what you think. So, let us know in the comments section down below. And also, remember to head over to the GCN app to vote on our polls for the next rounds of the most desirable bikes. Yeah, so next week we're going to reveal which bike is the most desirable, according to you guys. It's now time for Hot Tech, and this week we're going to focus on Tom Pidcock, his shiny bike and his shiny shoes, because, I mean, oh, come on, he won the Cyclocross World Champs, for goodness sake. Yeah, did you watch it? I did, I watched it live on GCN Plus, of course. Yeah, I didn't watch it live, I watched it on Catch Up On Demand, but that is one of the good things. I think not everyone realises this, but all the races that we show on GCN Plus, if they're available in your territory, you can watch them on demand without adverts, catch up whenever you like, which yeah. I think is great. So his bike caught our eye earlier on in the season. We took a bit of a look at it, but it's kind of been evolving throughout the season, hasn't it? And it's the Pinarello Crossista F. Yes. So this is a brand, well, we reported on it in the tech show, but it's finally been officially launched. And it's a significant upgrade over the previous Pinarello Crossista, their cross bike. And we understand that Pidcock worked extensively with Pinarello to try and create the ultimate perfect cross bike for him, with the end goal being to win the worlds. Well, I guess that plan worked, didn't it? Yeah, love it when a plan comes together. So some of the updates... Yeah, that and... was an 18 reference. <laughs> Fantastic. Some of the updates and revisions that have been made to the frame are in terms of the profile and the shape of the top tubes to help making shoulder in the bike much more comfortable. And also in terms of fully integrating all the cables and hoses into the frame. Yeah. Hmm. Also got additional like water drainage holes in the frame because, well, I mean, it's across and it's wet and muddy. Yes, um, but but also the bikes are frequently cleaned and, and you know, jet washed down. So it's yeah. useful to have those holes that are just going to drain the water away. It also modified the height of the bottom bracket area and the chain stays were tweaked as well to Pidcock's sort of exacting specifications. Something that's quite interesting that we've heard rumour of is that Pinarello had revised and tweaked the layout process of the carbon fibre frame. Maybe that's specifically for Tom or just a development throughout the season? Yeah, know. so the bike that we first saw him riding when it hadn't been officially launched, we understand that the layup of that was different 
from the layout of the bike that he used in Fayetteville. Mm -hmm. That's pretty cool. Um, and it's light too, apparently just 7.39 kilograms uh, for his complete race bike build, which for a cross bike, that's that's pretty light. I mean, it's comparable to some like mid-spec road bikes. It's yeah. good, yeah. yeah. Rate that. Oh, and there's also the paint job. We got gold logos over the bike to signify as Olympic gold medal in the, the mountain bike race, and also national champ stripes. And on the top tube, I think there's a player cards logo on the yeah, top. Yeah, custom yeah. graphics mm. and stuff. It's, it's a really smart looking bike, isn't it? His shoes as well were yeah. cool. Right? Shiny silver shoes. Yeah, an interesting choice of silver, seeing as he is Olympic champion and the fact that he then went on to win gold in the race. But, you know, not one to pick, are we? Bling, in it? Yeah, it is bling. Also, we've got a bit of a note, a lot of layback over his seat, on his seat post here, presumably to help shift a lot of his body weight over the rear wheel, particularly helpful when, you know, you try and get a lot of traction down on loose surfaces. Yeah, I'm a big fan of this. I think he's, there's definitely been a trend over recent years for saddles slam forward on the rails and no layback. Uh, but, the, you know, the, the thing is, yeah, your weight distribution's not as good over the bike. It's more forwards and, and cross traction. Key. Yeah, it is, it is key. Also, bike fitted out with Duro's Di2, very bling for a Sonicross bike. Mm. And um, yeah, we're keen to hear what your thoughts are on bikes. Let us know in the comments section down below. It's <laughs> so now time for our new segment in the show, and it's called Best Bike Shop in the World this week. Well, according to us, anyway. This is a section where you upload images and videos of your favourite local bike shop or any bike shop you visited just to give them a little bit of a shout out yeah give them a give them a bit of a bit of love because mm. bike shops are core of well cycling culture aren't they so we need to celebrate them yeah. now to submit uh, a bike shop you go to the upload section of the app then select the images or videos you want to use in your submission click next in the top right hand corner and then click other fill in the title and description and importantly at the end of the description make sure you use the hashtag bike shop this bit's really important yeah super crucial that you've got to have hashtag bike shop at the end of your description otherwise we won't be able to find your, your submission yeah so to kick things off this week well we've picked our own one out haven't we Yes, so that bike shop for to be the best bike shop in the world this week is Elmi Cycles in Ipswich. So this is a is a, well, a great bike shop. One of the cool things about it is celebrating its centenary this year. So it's over yeah, it's hundred years old. First opened in 1922, which is rather impressive. Yeah, but it remains a great bike shop to this day. You got good coffee good friendly experienced mechanics in there good range of bikes and the owner steve grimwood is a bit of a legend he's a really nice guy isn't yeah he? now he organizes uh, local races organizes high profile races as well really invested in like the local cycling uh, culture he's very passionate about riding and he's also got a really good collection of vintage bikes which He's actually lent to us on a few occasions. 
So I don't know if you remember, we did some Shimano content oh, last yeah. year, like the Game Changers stuff. Um, that was Steve's bikes that we used to help make that content. Yeah, they were out of his personal collection, they were, weren't they? So really kind of him to to loan us those iconic bikes. Yeah, he didn't ask for anything in return. So, yeah, he's a bit of a legend, so thanks, Steve. And if you're interested, here's a picture of the shop in 1922. It looks good. I was just looking at this picture. Yeah. It's crazy to see like how different stuff was. Look at yeah. all the stuff hanging up, like the wheels, as like the signs and yeah. stuff like that. Yeah, and here's, here's Steve outside the shop in the present day. Uh, with his, with his uh, not rather nice Eddie Merckx uh, restoration yeah. as well. Very cool. So, so when, he's, when he's also not busy running the bike shop, he's setting up, like you say, local races as well as helping organise some massive races and is part of the, the team behind getting the uh, World Masters Cyclocross Champs to mm. the UK. And yeah. here we are. There you go. Pretty cool. Um, so if you're in the Ipswich area, Oh, or if you go on holiday there, because we know a lot of you are international viewers, make sure, yeah. you, make sure you check out Elmy Cycles. I'm not going to lie, it's not a, a big holiday destination well, for a lot of people. But it's it worth it. It should be. It's worth a try. It's worth it for the bike shop. It's time for the bike vault. This is my favourite part of the show. You upload images of your bikes and Ollie and I judge them to be either nice or super nice. If they're super nice, we ring the bell. Plus, reserved for only the greatest bikes, we have our new category, which we said we were going to like. It's like a mic drop, bell drop. Mm. A lot of comments under last week's video about oh, that. Was, yeah. People people saying uber nice. Uber, uber nice. <laughs> That'd be good. So maybe, I don't know, uber nice and a bell drop combined. Just do both. Yeah, we could, I'll go with both, yeah. If we get a bike, yeah. we might never get one. This is for unicorn bikes. Anyway, okay. what have we got? Um, so first up, let's have a look at the most super nice bike from last week and it's from James Bosley with is it a Pinero Prince FX disc? Yeah. Wow. Ooh, yeah, I mean I like he's that. ticking the boxes. Yeah. Biggie smalls, wheels aligned, no clutter. Oh he's got um in focus. It is in focus, cool back. Clean. <laughs> Clean. Campagnolo wheels with Shra um, Shimano group set. That's allowed. I mean, it's allowed. It's just just an observation, not common to see. Do, do I guess. Do you think it's an? Do you think that's what this could be an Uber nice? No, I, no, I can't. No, give it. no, like super nice. not, no sorry. Super nice, then. Okay. Yeah, super nice. From yeah, it's super nice from us. So, our first submission for this week is from. Teeks. Ring the bell for blooming. Oh, sorry. Jesus. God, sorry, I was God. slacking there. I do apologise. Um, first submission this week is from Teeks with... Is Icon Titan. I... Oh, yeah. Oh, I do like this. Cool gravel bike, that, isn't it? That is a cool gravel bike. That's a super nice. Yeah. 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 Uh, next up, we've got a Canyon Grizzle from BRZ2PYJDK4. Are they American? Can you tell from the username? Yeah. Okay. Um, and he describes it 
uh, as the best all-round bike you can have. And he's, he's, he's taken it as a picture next to a mural of what he describes as the GOAT, the greatest batsman of all time. I think that mural's not great, but I think it's meant to be Sachin Tendulkar, the little master. Uh, unfortunately, he's completely wrong in his assessment that that is the greatest batsman of all time. That is not true because, um, well, the greatest batsman of all time is clearly Don Bradman. Look at the maths, look at the statistical standard deviation. It pains me to say that as an Englishman because Don Bradman was Australian, but his batting average was 39 runs higher than the next nearest. So that's for players that have scored over 2,000 test runs. Now, on average, the standard deviation is seven runs in someone's average. So between 40 and sort of 49. Don Bradman, he averaged 99 in Anyway. Um, that's all cool, but... It's a super, super nice. nice. Yeah, oh, yeah super. cool. <laughs> next in, um... Ooh. You might have to Baum, Baumgartner Lorenz with oh. his Cipollini Bond. Okay, this is a cool bike. Like this. Um, yeah, you like that? I do like that, although I tell you what, a few years back, I was quite a fan of a shallower front wheel and a deeper rear wheel. However, I feel like uh, yeah, it's, it's evading mm, me now. Yeah, and also the, it's pretty dirty, that drive chain. Mm. It's not clean. It's a nice from me. And Sorry got about that. that it looks a bit cluttered. Yeah, nice. Nice. Next in is from Samgazum. Yep. His third TT bike. Canyon Speedmax CFR TT. Wow. That looks rapid, doesn't it? That is a very fast looking bike, although. Although biggie big. On we the can't one let that slide. No, on the valve slide. at the front. Biggie big. No. It's no good just chucking new, a new, mega new, bike new, in new, with new. poor preparations. New, new, it's new, just new. a nice. Yeah. Next in is from level 46 with a Brother Cycle Stromer. I wonder if he's a fan of level 42. <laughs> I'm not sure, maybe. And, and their slap bass virtuoso frontman, Mark King. Maybe he is. He had his thumb insured for like two million pounds. Anyway, that's that's all irrelevant. How much is your hair insured for? <laughs> a lot. More than that. More than that. No. I picked this out because the background was cool. It's oh, a good mural. I love a good mural. I need to zoom in on the picture to get the bike. Um, so, with a lot of zooming in, I can see that the valves are aligned. The cranks aren't quite aligned. No. There's a long. Um, Big, Big bit of chimney. chimney. Unfortunately, you can't just chuck a bike in with cool background. Hope no, for the best. Nice, it's a nice. Nice. Crazy for bikes is next. It's an an original Israel Cycling Academy team frame. Uh, a DeRosa Protos. Connor had one of these back in the day. Um, what do you make of that? Oh, I do like that actually. Not 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 the cleanest chain. Not big, no. big. I think it's. Uh, I'm I'm almost willing to let that slide as a super. Nice. I'm not. Cool. So nice. Okay. Yeah. We have to agree. <laughs> um, right. That's the last one for no, this week. That's it. That's unfortunately the end of the show.
We were so into the body vault, we hadn't realised it was coming to I know. End. I hope you've enjoyed uh, this week's show and make sure, you know, you get involved in those polls and vote on the most desirable bike so we can get a better result from it, really. We didn't have any Ubernizers. No, we didn't. We live in hope that one day we get an Ubernizer. Yeah. Um, as you say, click yep. on the polls. Um, and also, something I'm really excited for, Strada Bianchi oh. is coming soon. It's the yeah. big, for me, that's the big, like, first race. And also, I like it because the tech side, because there's gravel bikes. It's sort of like, you know, it's gravel racing in there. So it's kind yeah. of like what tyres they use. They use, like, gravel tyres. You know, we're going to see any of that. Oh, do you know what else is uh, really cool? What? Um, it's all available on GCN+. Plus. <laughs> Territory restrictions do apply, though. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So just make sure it's better. Anyway, yeah, check it out. And if you enjoyed the show, like, subscribe, blah, 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 all that jazz. Bye. See I'm off to watch GCN Plus. Bye. Before the first space programs of the 20th century, it was thought that our closest neighboring planet may harbor life. I can remember their images where there are dinosaurs and flying dinosaurs. Thick clouds covering the surface of Venus caused humanity's imagination to run wild. And for good reason. So at first glance, Venus and Earth are quite similar. They are about the same size and about the same mass. And in fact, sometimes Venus is called our sister planet. But the first probes sent by the Soviet Union and NASA discovered a world plagued with a poisonous greenhouse atmosphere, a sweltering surface temperature, and a crushing air pressure. The Venusian surface has a temperature of over 450 degrees Celsius, so lead essentially melts on the surface of Venus. It's very hostile. And so attention turned to our more hospitable neighbor, Mars, leaving Venus largely neglected for decades, but never forgotten. Scientists long speculated that microbial life could exist in the permanent cloud layer atmosphere. It turns out that in the upper layers of the atmosphere, between 50 to 60 kilometers above the surface, we found conditions which are not that different from the surface condition we find on Earth. Then in 2020, evidence of biomarkers, potential signs of life, were detected in that cloud layer. Maybe the case that microbial life has adapted, has evolved, in order to survive in the high clouds of Venus. And although the claim was later disputed, it reinvigorated an enthusiasm for Venus. And scientists are proposing multiple missions with a single objective. 
we can just pick one thing and go for it. And we can also work on the taboo topic of the search for life. The Soviet Union's Venus missions gave us the first landings and images of the surface of another planet, the first audio recordings from the surface of another planet, and the first, and so far the only, planetary balloon missions. Balloons have already been flown in the Venusian atmosphere, the Vega 1 and 2 balloons, so we know it works. In 1985, the two spacecraft, called Vega 1 and Vega 2, arrived at Venus, both equipped with landers and balloons to explore the cloud layer atmosphere. The balloons separated from the crafts, lasting more than 46 hours while taking measurements. The data from that upper cloud layer differed greatly from the hellish surface. So the winds have speeds of about 350 or 360 kilometers per hour. That's about the speed of a bullet train and corresponds to the fastest winds we have ever measured on Earth. If we only look at temperature and pressure, the conditions are very similar to the surface conditions on Earth. However, the clouds which on Earth consist of water vapor, they're actually made of sulfuric acid. So we are looking for life which can survive in an extreme environment. The cloud layer is estimated to be 50 to 100 times drier than the driest place on Earth, the Atacama Desert in Chile. Dr. Armando Azuabustos, an astrobiologist and Atacama native, has spent much of his career looking at whether life can exist in extreme environments. We thought at the first we would not find any because it was so dry that as well, there's not any evidence of water here. But if you go like 30 centimeters down the soil, 50 centimeters down, something like this, right? We found a number of microorganisms which, which we still were are wondering how they're able to make it there. These organisms are called extremophiles, life that is adapted to survive in harsh environments, like a desert with no known water source. The camera is even as, is as dry as, and as old as desert as it is, you, you can still find life uh, even in those areas, telling you that it seems that there's no limit for life on Earth. And even, even in the, the hardest of this environment, you find life. So if that is possible here, how couldn't do that be the same case in other planets? The near-sterile environment of the Atacama is normally used as a testing bed for finding life on Mars. But the clouds here could give us clues about life on Venus, too. By inspecting the habitability of those clouds, this is just something we're doing now, as we speak. We're trying to understand how that can also be proposed as an analog model of the habitabilities of the, of the high clouds of Venusian atmosphere. But the Venusian atmosphere isn't just dry, it's extremely acidic. The cave of the lighted house in Mexico contains toxic amounts of sulfuric acid. 
yet microbial life has evolved to use other chemical processes to obtain energy other than photosynthesis. We already have a sample that life was able to evolve and adapt to the most acidic environment on Earth. And you cannot measure a pH lower than zero. It cannot get more acidic than that. So if life was able to uh, adapt to that environment, why could not be the case if life ever arose in Venus? Why is it important to try to understand the, li the limits for life on Earth and how do we inspect the so-called uh, extreme environment on Earth? Because that gives you an idea on what you may expect on how you should look for life elsewhere. So it's not easy, it's not cheap to go to Mars, for example, but I can go to the Atacama Desert, which is a good analog model. While we've been learning a lot about extremophiles on Earth, we've also continued to learn more about Venus since those early missions. Now, in terms of knowledge of Venus, today we know much more about Venus, such as about the existing of prebiotic components, such as ammonia and hydrogen cyanide. We also know that the greenhouse effect on Venus started about one billion years ago. So we know a lot more things about Venus thanks to many missions which went to, to Venus, such as orbital missions in the past decades. Very small amounts of oxygen were detected in the atmosphere by at least two different separate independent probes. And it's amazing because we also don't know how oxygen would be made on Venus at the levels found. And there's sort of enough puzzles that something really interesting is happening on Venus. Recent probes to Venus, like the European Space Agency's Venus Express and the Japanese Aerospace Exploration Agency's Akatsuki, has given us a lot of valuable science. But only Mars has had missions specifically looking for organic compounds, the ingredients for life. Then in 2020, this happened. It's an extraordinary possibility, living organisms floating in the clouds of planet Venus. There may be some form of life on Venus. This gas is called phosphide. Now, what exactly is it? Do we have any idea? A team, led by astronomers in the UK, reported seeing the spectral signature of phosphine in telescope data. Phosphine is very unusual because on Earth it's only associated with life. Either bacteria in oxygen-free environments like wetlands or made by humans as pesticides and other chemicals. Suddenly there was a potential biomarker for life in the Venusian atmosphere and this really changed a little bit the picture of astrobiology research in our solar system. While some groups have disputed the claim, saying that the phosphine signal isn't there, or at least at levels less than previously thought, it's reinvigorated the interest in Venus from the public and scientific community. So despite all this controversy of phosphine, people have started to relook at the old so-called legacy data 
from the American and Russian probes that went into the Venus atmosphere in the late 70s and early 80s. And what's very intriguing is it looks like there's evidence for phosphine from that old data. One thing everyone can agree on is the need for more research into Venus. NASA and the European Space Agency recently greenlit three separate missions. Veritas will map the planet's surface, and Da Vinci Plus, the second NASA mission, will have an orbiter to image Venus in the ultraviolet and infrared light, and will send a probe through Venus's atmosphere. While the European Space Agency's Envision will take high-resolution radar images of the planet's surface. Although these missions will give us a lot of valuable data, none of them are dedicated solely to finding biomarkers. In order to really determine whether there is life, we would need to go there. And for us, the question was immediately, how can we quickly develop and launch a mission in order to determine whether there's really life in the Venusian atmosphere or not. And within two weeks after the announcement of the potential discovery of phosphine, we published a report on this mission study to deploy a fleet of balloons in the Venusian atmosphere and to search for life. Balloons are used for scientific studies on Earth due to their cheap cost simple design, and ability to stay in the atmosphere for a long period of time. Uh, you can buy high-altitude uh, balloons for maybe a couple of hundred dollars or euros. They tend to be fairly robust, so you just launch them and then you can essentially forget about them. And these are two benefits which are also applicable to the Venusian context. And considering the technology already exists, it could be launched quickly. Venusian uh, balloon, which consists essentially of um, two basic elements. So one is the balloon sphere, and then we have what we call a chipset. So it's about the size of a credit card, and we have a very small payload, such as a tiny camera or a small microscope on board, and all the subsystems such as power supply and communications, etc. So far, this proposal hasn't made it to the hardware phase yet. But a separate study, headed by Professor Sarah Seeger at MIT and funded in part by Breakthrough Initiatives, is looking at three separate missions. The first one to launch via Rocket Lab's rocket as early as 2023. We're really, really absolutely thrilled that we have a mission to Venus. We've partnered with Rocket Lab to supply the scientist, science team, and science instrument. And there's room for like a tiny instrument, less than one kilogram, that will go on the probe. And the probe is going to drop through the atmosphere very quickly. So the probe would last maybe an hour. And going through the cloud layers that we care about, that will be about three minutes. So this mission is short. And the instrument that the team chose, it has a kind of complicated name. It's called an autofluorescing nephilometer. 
outer fluorescence refers to the fact that we're basically shining ultraviolet light on the droplets and looking for any fluorescence that in other wavelengths, other colors of light. Uh, and then nephlerometer is just a fancy word for an instrument that measures the light that's scattered from uh, particles. If you have a, a black light and you're out in the desert and you shine it on a scorpion, the scorpion lights up green colored, just like my piece of fluorescent plastic. Um, and that demonstrates how, how organic compounds, life compounds could be found on Venus with fluorescence. The instrument, which in its final form will fit inside of an estimated half a kg payload, will be the first attempt on Venus to specifically look for biomarkers. This instrument by itself is not going to be able to definitively determine that there's life on Venus. But if we detect organic compounds in the cloud droplets, it's an indication that there might be life. If what they find looks promising, their next mission would be a balloon mission to look for biomarkers in different areas of the atmosphere. We envision a balloon, and we have a few very, very specific things we want to measure. We'd like to remeasure the gases that don't belong, including phosphine and ammonia and oxygen. We'd like to check out these droplets in more detail. In particular, we want to measure the acidity of the droplets because there's some new theories out there, including one from my team, that the droplets aren't all uniform and that they're not all incredibly acidic, that some might be a more friendly acidity to life. And we'd also like to measure um, more details about the composition of the droplets, measure that directly, not just from light scattering. And if there are promising discoveries from that mission, to ultimately prove microbes are present, they're proposing a third mission. We would go to Venus with a balloon, and this balloon would have a miniature rocket attached to it. And we would uh, collect samples. So we'd condense the cloud particles, and we would trap some air on Venus, some of the gases. And we would package those, um, get it inside the rocket, which would launch from the balloon and it would intercept with an orbiter that would then be able to act as a cruise vehicle to come home to Earth with these precious samples so that here on Earth we could use our very sophisticated and exquisite instruments to look for life. These missions would be the first balloon missions to look for life on another planet, but probably not the last. There are people who have been trying to get a balloon mission to Venus for decades, actually. It's not like we came and had all these brilliant ideas. We're obviously standing on the shoulders of people before us, you know, people who are still working on such missions. But with the rise of private space companies and the miniaturization of technology, inexpensive balloon missions like these could solve mysteries faster and make space more accessible. There's a basic human urge to find out if we are alone. But, but it's also of tremendous importance if we think about who would find life on Venus. Did it have the same origin as life on Earth or did it really emerge in parallel? And this has huge implications also for us as humanity. Every 
society in human history appears to have had astronomy as part of its culture. And that is about wanting to know and explore what is beyond Earth. And today that question you know, includes, um, is there life out there? I think it's part of wanting to understand, you know, our place in the universe. Are we alone? Are we unique? Or is the universe filled with, with other life forms? Welcome to the Glitch Lab Podcast. This is episode four. My name is Lloyd Coombs and I'm joined by Ross Deason and Mel Ramsey. How are you doing both? Yeah, not bad. I think Ross uh, might have just choked on a coffee. <laughs> <laughs> you you warned me that you were going to be leaning in to speak into your microphone here, but <laughs> I can't deal with that. <laughs> Wait, is it because it looks too much like I'm like just, just burying my head? I don't know what you're doing behind, <laughs> on the edge of that camera. <laughs> Steady. This is this is a family show. It's definitely not. This is, this is um, why we need video. <laughs> yeah. On, on that note, actually, we, should, we probably should mention because people have been asking. Um, we're looking to if we get to episode ten, then we will we will definitely be moving into video. We just kind of wanted to get the audio down first, as you may have noticed. There's been some audio issues, like I think half of the episodes we've done so far, and and we're we're not even through this one yet. So once we got that done, and we feel safe enough to edit video, then we'll then we'll do video. So we set ourselves a target of episode ten. So uh, then you can see all our beautiful mugs, and and you know if if that's what you're into, um, <laughs> you'd, you'd probably be mad, really. Um, but yeah, so Oi. let's kick off this week. <laughs> let's kick off. Uh, what we kind of said we do we were just joking about this is kind of like our one month anniversary it's the fourth episode in a row uh, we had originally said we'd just do like one every two weeks and then we enjoyed it so much the first time we've ended up doing four in the first month um, so we kind of wanted to break down with a couple of smaller topics and then just answer some questions that we've been sort of soliciting from the audience at uh, Glitchlap Pod on Twitter um, so first of all Ross what's the big CSGO news because I don't know CSGO but you guys are both into esports a lot more than I am um, Deserto broke a very interesting story today uh, about CS:GO. Do you want to give us the uh, the explain like I'm five for me, please? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I won't I won't explain like I'm f- like you're five because uh, it would take a whole episode. But essentially, what's happened is is there's been an ongoing uh, drama in in the CS:GO scene for for a long time now, where it's revealed that a number of coaches were using uh, a coaching exploit or a coaching bug, which during freeze times allowed them to actually uh, see certain areas of the map instead of seeing sort of like the first person view of, of their teams, which meant they could see things uh, that they'd be sort of, uh, let's let's see on Mirage, they'd be port, they'd be sort of stuck in the middle of Mirage and they could call out uh, stuff to their teammates, um, get lots of reads about tactics. Uh, it was quite a sort of, um, 
quite a big drama at the time because it turned out that there were a lot of coaches who sort of abused this and some of them had used it a lot of times others had used it once or twice some had used it in very cru- cru- uh, crucial matches others less so uh, but i think at, at the time when it when it sort of first broke it ended up with 37 or 32 coaches um being banned uh, by by esic which is the esports uh, integrity um board and and it, it's been it's been really strange ever since because what's happened uh, is with esic they've just sort of not really <laughs> got on with anything uh they've they've made everything sort of take a long time they've gone back on some uh sort of rulings that they made and everything's sort of gone a bit flat. We've had a lot of coaches come back. We had Hunden come back uh, very quickly. Turned out to be a scumbag in multiple other ways as well. So he's now, you know, out of coaching again. We had other coaches who just never really sort of accepted uh, their their punishments and just carried on working like uh, in the background, like weren't officially coaches, but were still there. Uh, and, and what we then had is, Valve, uh, who would never really liked having coaches sort of on stage behind teams and, and giving input anyway, then clamped down on what the rules were for majors. And once the majors uh, have their rules changed, you know, a lot of big tournament organizers tend to follow the lead because, you know, it, it's easier if rule sets are somewhat similar across multiple different tournament organizers. Uh, and yeah, like I say, since then, it's all gone a little bit quiet that we, we kind of knew that there were other coaches that were potentially being looked into and we knew that there was more uh, evidence that had been submitted by uh it was an ESL uh, admin I think it was at the time who discovered a lot of it um and yeah like I say didn't hear a huge amount but today uh, Luis from from Deserto he uh, basically released a pretty groundbreaking story which is that Valens who is the the former Cloud9 coach uh, and was the Cloud9 coach during their sort of famous ESL Boston major win um, had also used the bug, and I think he'd used it on three times, uh, three different occasions. All, as far as I can tell, um, during the same series, which is an epicenter close qualifier series against Team Liquid, um, or maybe yeah, three rounds during during that, uh, and then also another round against I believe Optic during ESL Pro League. Uh, but the, the the weird one with the Team Liquid uh, match in particular was that Valens actually was able to free roam. So instead of being stuck in a certain position and being able to actually see uh, certain areas of the map and make calls, he could literally fly wherever he wanted, like a free camera, and, and see what was going on in the other team's spawn, see what weapons they were buying, and then go and see you know where they were going on the map. Now, compared to some people who'd used this bug literally dozens of times, this this doesn't look as bad, and it looks like it was a one-off, but... You know, he never admitted to it until now. Um, we didn't know about it until now. What we what we have found out is that the admin who had uh, originally uh, sort of revealed this all. Now I'm going to murder his name. I think it's Michal or, or Michael uh, Slewinski. So he he was this veteran referee that who I mentioned before had uh, uncovered the scandal. Uh, he had actually. Um, given evidence that, that Valens had used the bug uh, to ESIC at some point. And the, the issue we've got here with the Esports Integrity Commission is they just don't communicate. And when they do communicate, they're not particularly good at doing so. So now it, there's this question again where we go, well, what, why are we not hearing about this? Where, what stage of the 
um, inquest are we at? Are there more coaches again that are going to be revealed? Because everyone kind of thought this was over and done with now. And now we've got a really high profile coach back again being caught. So uh, yeah, it's it's a really a really weird one. It's it's a bit of a shame. It's a bit disappointing, obviously for Cloud Nine fans uh, and and CS:GO fans in general. Um, you know, he he was one of those coaches that you kind of like like Zonic, uh, who was like, well, at least they weren't doing it, and it turns out potentially he was, or at least he knew of it. Um, so yeah, that's that's kind of a, a, a somewhat short winded sort uh, version of what's a very long winded story. Um, I would I would sort of suggest if you want to know the ins and outs of it then richard lewis has done some, some really good content sort of explaining it as have some others um and they'll they'll be able to sort of go into much more detail about you know what was going on some of the shady stuff in the background some of the lying and, and also some of the shortcomings of, of the likes of isaac as well yeah we can <laughs> we can put some sort of required reading in the um in the show notes for sure um and, and kind of give people a bit of background on that um mel any thoughts yeah i feel like cheating it it really is irritating every time something like this happens because a lot of people on the outside were like well if you're working in like electronics and things like that and technology like surely you should be able to stop these kind of things from happening somehow these bastards always wiggle their way in don't they um and it just makes us all look a bit shit i don't know i just yeah it's despicable and it ruins a lot of people's idea of what esports is and it's just like if you if you're not decent enough without it like just stop like yeah i think what one thing that's interesting with the the, the coaching bug scandal is it, it was an actual inherent bug with csgo and it, it actually turned out that this bug had been in the game for like fucking ages and that certain coaches had been abusing the hell out of yeah. it for like a long time so it, you know it's not necessarily the same as, as having hacks but the you know results are the same people definitely you know there were teams now, I, don't quote me here, but I'm, I'm pretty sure someone went back and looked at the history of a team that had been sort of cheated in one of the Road to Rio uh, or one of the uh, CSGO minor qualifiers or something like that. Uh, and, and they were cheated against quite quite extensively by one of these teams that was that was using the coaching bug a lot. Um, and and that team ended up sort of like disbanding not, not long after. And there was potential that they would have got to the major, which obviously then comes with sticker money and all these other things. So... You know, every time someone cheats in esports or in, in real sports or anything like that, you're not just cheating yourself. You're not just cheating, you know, the people, you know, in, in that particular match. You are potentially cheating people out of real money, yeah. out of their careers uh, and, and all these other things. So, yeah, it's it's whether it's a, a, a one off coaching bug or whether it's a, you know, long term hacking. I think it's just it, yeah, it's really not a good look. And unfortunately, in CSGO, you know, we've had the match fixing scandal. Uh, and others that you know probably have never seen the light of day because that's, let's be honest, Iberpower was not the only team that was doing that, uh, and you know various other scandals. We had we had the Optic India player who literally had hacks like in a in a fucking like in a land setting. We had Cali uh, who was cheating, uh, who was a professional player, and various other uh, professional players who were cheating. So you know it it just isn't a good look uh, at all. I suppose, you know, and like you say, it's crap. I suppose <laughs> the shame of it as well is. I mean, provided obviously they they weren't aware, is that that's cheated that the team, the Cloud Nine team, out of that major in a way. You know, they can't. Well, look, it, it won't affect. It, it shouldn't affect the major because the, these matches weren't directly impacted, like, involved in the major. Uh, but you know, the, this was one thing that happened a lot. You know, in in the fallout of this coaching scandal originally was, um, you know, people going, well, you're, these teams must have known, especially for the teams like, uh, you know, like Heroic who 
had Hunden who was using the bug, you know, quite extensively, uh, or or various of these of these sort of CIS region teams that had coaches that were using it quite extensively. You know, people are then questioning their legitimacy because a lot of these coaches sort of came out and said, "Oh no, no, my my players never knew. I didn't tell any. I didn't relay the information, or you know, I did make calls, but no one knew that I, how I was getting that information." Um, and then there was, you know, the, the thing that got really sort of nasty in in the heroic situation is Hunden eventually, you know, got uh, got sort of kicked from heroic or wanted to leave heroic, and and then all of a sudden he kind of went back on everything he'd said and started going. Oh no! Actually, Nico did know that I was doing it. Oh, these players did know that I was doing it, and then there was this awful fallout for that. So yeah, you know, you're not just you're not just an individual cheat. You're potentially, you know, your whole team becomes cheats uh, by proxy. Which yeah, it's just just not a nice situation for anyone, really. Do you know what yeah. would be fun though if we could have like a cheat Olympics where everyone can just use whatever cheat they can possibly find, and then you'll just go, I'd love that. <laughs> Just have everyone cheat. Say about the Olympics, in it. Just like, just imagine the Olympics with no drug testing. Let's just see what happens. Yeah, we'd beat so many world records. It would just be incredible. I think we should best, do that. Why the not? The best thing it would be if you could use like cheats agnostic from the game, so you could like use the spawn car cheat in G- from GTA yeah. and CS:GO. But maybe that's just, just drop a tank in the middle of CS:GO and you win. Dodo car. Um, yeah. No, that's really good to get that rundown, Russ. To be honest, I'd kind of briefly read uh, Luis's story and and because I'm kind of detached from that sphere I just I just kind of needed some extra sort of coloring on that so that's that's really helpful thank you mate um yeah I look like like I said um my my sort of knowledge of the situation is very sort of peripheral because I'm not as into the CSGO scene as I was so yeah read read Luis's uh, coverage read coverage from other websites that, that covered you know the initial scandal quite extensively and, and also check out some of the videos by, by the likes of Richard and I believe Thorin did some as well which you know really kind of explain not not only what the bug was and who was who was abusing it but the sort of fallout that i mentioned there and how it kind of spread to, to so many different areas of the game and the players involved cool um <laughs> don't really know how to follow that up really but i'm gonna talk about lost ark <laughs> um, so you may remember uh, amazon released an mmo uh, you, you likely won't remember uh, an mmo in october last year called new world and the player count kind of was there for about a month and then it dropped off. Um, and that was a game that cost money to get into as well. Um, Amazon's going for another MMO, or they're publishing another MMO, this time from Smilegate RPG. And uh, it's already been out in, uh, I believe it's Russia and, uh, and certainly a few few other countries sort of towards the east. Um, it's, it's coming to Western audiences on Friday. Uh, early access is, is available now if you buy the, the Founders Pack. Um, but just what just wanted to say, it's really fucking good. <laughs> it's a really good game. Um, so uh, Lost Ark is essentially an MMO that is played from like more of a top-down isometric perspective. So your uh, your combat is essentially Diablo, um, which means that if you're into action RPGs like Diablo, Path of Exile, or anything like that, you're gonna love it. Um, and honestly, like where MMOs are usually quite kind of like you have to hit an enemy like. 20 times to do to, to knock it out and the, that's even at the start like within within like the first five minutes of this game you are swinging a sword around like a like a lunatic like you're chucking spells like like harry potter i don't know <laughs> and um it's just like really cool really flashy combat like really cool uh vistas as well you can explore it's just like a really fucking good game um and i know ross had had like a question about like like he jokingly said on twitter like what is it but like you guys should definitely check it out. Like it's it's gonna be free to play as of Friday. 
Um, it's quite a big Steam download, uh, and it's only on PC at the moment. Um, but yeah, it's great. Uh, we we've got like a shitload of content going up uh, on Deserto for it. Um, but I'll put a link to uh, Lauren's review in the show notes because it's a really really good read. And uh, yeah, uh, I'd, I'd ask Mel if GG Recon has reviewed it, but we all know that she doesn't read her site. So listen, I read my site every day. I just have a very bad memory. <laughs> I joke. I joke. <laughs> That's my excuse, and I'm sticking to it. Um, I, uh, yeah, I like I say, I wasn't actually joking. I genuinely don't don't know anything about this. Uh, and then Shane, uh, one of our uh, assistants at Deserto, uh, managed to explain it to me by using I'm going to even have to look at this uh, Diablo and Path of Exile, which literally means less than nothing to me. So I, I still don't understand. You've you've explained it a bit better. Yeah. But yeah. So basically it's um it's real time combat, so there's no like turn based or anything like that. It's not even really kind of like full MMO cooldowns. You you are still dodging and slashing and doing abilities in real time. Um but it's it's all mapped to your keys and like I think which is the most obvious thing, but like they they map it <laughs> they map it weirdly. Like they're all they're all on your um on your kind of like your alphabet keys which is kind of weird at first but once you get into it you you find like a rhythm and i was playing as a the paladin so you have like equal magic and and basically just swinging the sword around and oh my god it was so much fun to the point where i i I played for probably about 20 hours pre-launch like in one weekend knowing full well that my progress was going to be wiped by the time the game came out and i was like that's that's 20 hours wasted but it was so much fun like it was so great it sounds like it'd give me anxiety i don't know not my kind of thing it's worth a go it's, I, i've not played it in so uh sort of peek behind the curtain like we, when you play it pre-release you don't tend to have many people online because you're on like pts servers um mm. so i've not played with anyone yet so i'm quite curious to see how it holds up um sort of leveling stuff for dungeons and and kind of instance activities and that kind of stuff but yeah i'm I'm really uh really quite excited to see it grow and as i say it's been out it's actually been out since i think 2019 so approaching for three years now i think um that's what confused me yeah 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 because russ looked it up earlier and he was like why is this game come out in 2019 and now everyone's talking about it but it is really just that it's it's been localized now so it's it's coming to uh like europe and the and the us um and a few other markets as well i think it, i think it is now fully global um but yeah it's well worth a go um and, and I, you know i jokingly referenced new world earlier i quite enjoyed new world for what it was you know uh, for the time i played it but this is um this is a cut above a very a very gory like axe to the head cut above um so yeah definitely recommend it um and with that we'll get into some questions shall we because we've got like loads to answer today <laughs> um and i'll go for the first one which is actually specifically for mel because Mel's been like quiet this episode. I feel like she's she's getting away with it at the moment. So, <laughs> um, <laughs> Lara Jackson says, of the shorter games Mel's been trying, what's been her favourite and why? And when I say why, I mean why was it obviously Journey? Journey was incredible. So basically, the backstory is that I put out a tweet and I said, what short games gonna play like in a day? Because I just had like a week off work and I was like, right, I'm just gonna make my way through loads because I like shorter games. Like, if I'm gonna invest a lot of time in a game, I wanna make sure that it's like incredible. Um, So yeah, I asked for shorter games. Laura said Journey um, and I, I played it. It took me about two hours and it honestly had me like, crying it was so beautiful it was a bit like from what i took away from it it was like about death and like the journey of life and then the afterlife so that was really really good um i don't know what my favorite short game is 
I have been playing Cuphead, so I've been really not wanting to play Cuphead for a long time because I've heard about how difficult it is. But the artwork and everything is just so me. It's just gorgeous. It's really like... I was going to say, that sounds like it would be a game tailor-made for you, like at least aesthetically. Yeah, I mean, it's got like the devil in it. and <laughs> um, So I've been playing that and I've really... I've, I've been on easy mode, I'm not going to let it sit here and lie, but it's still really, really difficult. Um, so I'd say that's probably my favourite currently. Um, but Journey was beautiful. Um, what Remains of Edith Finch was beautiful. Um, I think short games, like not enough people like rave about how good they are um and just like easily like digestible snappy games like give me more of them i don't want to put 50 hours into a game that's like my idea of hell like no i mean unless it's something like hades which i talk about every week i'm still fucking make my way through it but i, I really like short just games got, just went up by one yeah <laughs> but well, yeah i I, get it I like short I, games i get it I, I think i've kind of started to gravitate towards games that i can play in like bite-sized chunks now I play a bit of Destiny for like an hour or I jump into Monster Hunter and do a do a hunt in Monster Hunter or something like that. And like these really kind of like, yes, Destiny's kind of like an MMO, but you can also kind of play it at your own pace. And I mentioned, I think it was the first episode, but I've been playing Rainbow Six Extraction. Like that feels like a games as a service made for the dad of a two-year-old. Like, because I can just jump mm. in, do a mission or do a couple of objectives and jump out and feel like I've achieved something. But Ross, you're quite into your open worlds, aren't you? Like when you do play games. Yeah, to to be honest with you, I mean, I guess the shortest game I've played, <laughs> the shortest game I've played recently is Uncharted Two, which I guess is not a recent game. <laughs> uh, also, like the Uncharted games are still fairly lengthy as well. Yeah, like, they're, they're still, not they're like, still like a good yeah, like but, ten hours. But but the, you do get the like you play a chapter. Like I would play a chapter each night and then and then leave it. Whereas if I get into like an open world game or something, like, I end up just losing days and nights and. Mm you know hundreds of hours like mel said um yeah t- to be honest with you I-, I mean i guess i haven't really played any sort of much shorter games it's probably something i should consider because again you know I-, I like that idea of of not having to sink loads of time into something and still getting a bit of a an experience out of it it did take me about a minute there to work out that you were talking about cuphead because i was trying to work out what cophead was um but <laughs> it's my accent all right <laughs> <laughs> i think it's it's me being cornish not, not understanding. It, um, it's it's yeah, cuphead's uh, law enforcement brother <laughs> Cuff. yeah uh, <laughs> yeah i guess i guess i haven't really got any that that you know all, that I would all cups are bastards um so <laughs> God's uh, this one this next one's more for me i guess because um you guys uh admitted last week that you have not played a pokemon game um, but Jacob Hale, uh, hey Jacob, uh, says that top three uh, wants to know top three starter Pokemon of each type, but they can't be from the same generation. Now this was so hard because I don't remember their names that well, and I've only played like three or four generations. Um, so I went for let me just try and work this out. Right? So for for Grass, I'm gonna go for Grookey from Sword and Shield because he's wicked and Rillaboom is badass. Um, for Water, I'm gonna go with. Uh, I think Totodile from Gold and Silver um, because he's pretty cool as well and he's kind of cute but then he gets a bit badass as he gets older um, and then I'm going to go with Charmander because Charizard is my all time favourite Pokemon so it makes sense that I'd go with Charmander so I hope that helps but I can't really co- uh, like speak for like half of them <laughs> like, I remember Cyndaquil but I didn't want to pick like two fires obviously so, so that's it for me but yeah you guys got any comments on your favourite starter Pokemon? Mel's on mute. 
sorry. Um, well, like Ross, I actually did think that Pikachu was one of the starters when my staff were talking to me about it the other day. Um, so yeah, I have no. You've just you've just leaked uh, our, our pre pre show <laughs> conversation. <right? laughs> I was I was going to pretend I definitely knew that. <laughs> oh, sorry. <laughs> we'll cut that out. It's fine. Yeah, not not too not too Pokemon Yellow Pikachu. So uh, yeah, so the, so he's he, he's technically a starter, but. I think because it, because Jacob said each type usually it's fire, water, and grass, and, and Pikachu's lightning, so or electric. So. Isn't there Earth as well? Yeah, yeah, but the three types that the the starters are always fire, water, and grass. Or leaf, that's a bit. That's a bit mean. Got this. Yeah, it's a bit exclusionary, isn't it? Really, yeah, yeah, it's not very yeah. nice. Yeah. yeah, Pokemon's not very nice, really, is it? It's just all animal baiting and just like yeah. messing up ecosystems hey, do, do, do you remember what everyone kicked off about the cockfighting in that game recently and yet yeah Pokemon Far Cry 6, just, yeah. just sending yeah. them in just forcing them to fight each other and then putting them back in a ball yeah, appar- like a apparently you're only allowed to do cockfighting if they can throw around like fire and shit clearly like yeah. that's where that's that's where we draw the line when they're not chickens they're actually small lizards with fire tails but yeah and are they all named after what they can say, or do they say that because they that's say what their named? name? Yeah, they say their name, which is weird because then when they evolve into like the next one up, they say the new name. But it's like, how did you know? I don't. Know, we mm. could go. We could go down a rabbit hole here. <laughs> so, so of all the of all the things in, in the Pokemon universe that confuses you is you get. So when he changed from Charmander <laughs> into Char Charmeleon or whatever, how it does he know how to call he himself Charmeleon? I don't yeah. understand. <laughs> And what if I wanted to an call existential crisis. another name? Like, <laughs> you can you call a... your Pokemon like Barry, or does it just always have yeah, to be? Yeah, you can. But they'll. But if you if you had a Charmander called Barry, he'd still say Charmander. Well, that's a bit shit, isn't it? Uh, yeah, I know. I, now I want to, I want to see some kind of like story, some short story of a Pokemon that that just has a massive identity crisis and just thinking like. Who, who am I? What what am I doing here? You, what you is heard it here life? first, folks. Send Ross all of your Pokemon fan fiction. Also, how can but keep it keep it clean and and more in the existential crisis vein than anything? A bit how how paltry. does Meowth, if I'm saying that right, talk, but none of the rest do? And also, if they have the ability to say the name, surely they have the ability to speak. So why can't they speak? There's a giant plot hole here, and I'm so, not happy. About so there's it. there's like a, a few Pokemon that can speak like the English language or presumably a language. Um, Meowth, I never understood why. I agree. Mewtwo can speak English or like a chosen language because he was a man-made Pokemon, I think. So he, this is gonna, I'm gonna get really shown up here. He had some existential crisis. He, and, he did and going on, didn't he? Yeah. yeah, he was. He was depressed. He was. Yeah. He was a really unhappy Pokemon, and so he decided he'd. Uh, yeah, but he's pretty badass though. So he, you know, there's that. He can have an existential crisis, but he's still like one of the most po- powerful Pokemon. So I like to think that I'm a Mewtwo. Every time I have an existential crisis, I get more powerful. <laughs> So, like, Mew- I just feel Mew- like I can take on the world. So Mewtwo was man-made. Was yeah. Mew man-made? No. Oh, Ross just showed us all a Pokemon book. Uh, yeah. So I, I, I've been clearing out my mum's house recently, and I found out that I actually did have Pokemon cards, and I kept them. Um, I love, I, I love that it probably turns out that Ross has got like an absolute fortune sitting there because <laughs> it's just like, ah, oh, it's that Pokemon shit. I've got, I've got Mewtwo. Oh, nice. Is yeah. it, is it shiny? Uh, I don't know. No, I've got I've got the one that you got if you went to the cinema. Oh, I remember that. Um, I've got a shiny Kangaskhan. Kangaskhan, yeah. 
Genghis Khan. <laughs> Genghis Khan. Yeah. <laughs> Apparently, it's o- it's okay if they beat the shit out of other Pokemon as long as you name them after like a fierce ruler. <laughs> I've got a shiny Cypher. He looks cool. I like him. Um, and then the rest of them all are basically just these power cards that I never understood why they existed. So that that was a, or that, that, that question started as as top three starter Pokemon and it became Ross's childhood on on audio book. That was quite nice. It's quite, that's quite wholesome. wholesome, Ross. Yeah, yeah that's, that's nice. Um, Ross, this one's for you because you're the only one that's put down an answer for it, and I don't have a clue what it is. What's your favorite frag movie? And, I can't and also, what also, what is, is a frag movie? Yeah, can we can we cover that first? Frag, uh, so, are we actually doing this? Well, yeah, I'm genuinely I, asking. I'm actually. <laughs> I'm, I'm genuinely asking. I'm asking you to educate me, like you did with the CS:GO shite earlier. Did, Come on, didn't you, Mel? Didn't you say you used to play Doom and, and Quake and things? I know what a frag yeah. is. Am I on mute? Oh, you, you know what a frag yeah, is. But I don't, what's right, a frag so, movie? Like, you know, so it's like a like a montage of frags. Oh, so, so it's like a, it's like a kill montage. Yeah, but it's a frag movie because that's what they've always been called. Oh. Um, no. So it's, it's basically yeah, you know when you used to like, do you remember when you'd pull up Mod, Modern Warfare Two? You'd have like a montage of loads of cool quickscapes and stuff. That was essentially a frag movie. Frag movies are just what we call things back in the day, back in my day. Uh, so yeah, I've got a list of sort of frag movies that I quite like most of them will be cs 1.6 because that was like the best era for frag movies in my opinion so uh i've got here basically anything by this guy called athid or or athid a-t-h-i-d he's done like a forest one as neil one uh a neo one they're all really really good uh pub masters the movie that's a really good what cs 1.6 movie uh nothing but headshots which is jordan nothing gilbert that's like the the frag movie that sort of made him famous and he became like the superstar of north american counter-strike at the end of 1.6 um when they weren't winning anything uh neo uh thrill which is another sort of one about neo who in my opinion is the best counter-strike 1.6 player ever alongside forest uh too much for zed block that's like a really fun cs uh, Counter-Strike Source uh, frag movie, which who knows if he was cheating or not, but the movie the movie's really fun and really good. So, <laughs> you know, we'll, we'll just go with that. Um, Counter-Strike Annihilation uh, 1 and 2, both really good. Uh, anything that, like, Nikki HD's done, so, like, Clockwork 4, if you want to look at some just really cool like, animation skills and stuff, that's amazing. Uh, and then, like, the Nip Redemption uh, video for CSGO. I'm, so, they, I'm sorry, I'm oh, sorry. Manager. The Nip Redemption. Really <laughs> NIP. Ninjas, Ninjas of pajamas. Pajamas. Oh, okay. Okay. I thought it was, like, <laughs> Reve- Revenge of the Nipple. Like, like Return of the Teat. I got, I got really the confused there. That really threw me off. So, so Mel, have you got any frag... Some kind of social movement yeah. going through. <laughs> Mel, have you got any uh, any frag movies that you're particularly fond of? I can't say I've ever seen any. I, I'm still confused as to what it is. So it's just compilations that they put on YouTube. Yeah, just a kill compilation. I'm so disappointed. Look, you, you know how you both get disappointed with me just never playing video games or knowing anything Ross, about anything I have never about. been disappointed I, that, in that, that is a disappointment I feel right now that you guys don't... Do, not that you can't even just name your favourite one. The fact that you just don't know it. <laughs> <laughs> you don't even know what one is. No. You can't even picture what one is. No, but... I, I'm going to go away and I'm going to watch Nip Redemption. Right, and if there if there are no ripples, <laughs> I will feel shortchanged. <laughs> there won't be any. You won't. Be. Oh, <laughs> Jesus Christ. Um, so let's go for uh, for another one that I think we can probably all answer. Uh, Jono asks. Uh, Jono uh, Nicholson asks, "What is your favourite Call of Duty title?" I'll go to you first, Mel. 
I don't play Call of Duty. I've said this before. Like I've dipped oh, yeah, in now, but that. no, it's not for me. <laughs> don't don't like it. Don't enjoy any of it. It's too much pressure. It's too much stress, and there's a whole other host of reasons why I don't go near it. So, none. Russ, I'll say I'll say Vanguard <laughs> just because that's the most recent one. Oh my word, no. <laughs> Yeah, you, you, that's you wrong. I know it's the shittiest one. I know it's the shittiest one. I know it's your opinion, but it's wrong. <laughs> <laughs> go on, Ross. Go on, Lloyd. You, you go oh, okay. first. I feel like I've talked a huge amount today because I've had to answer. You this. have, but you're usually quite quiet when you question. talk about general gaming stuff. So I'm really glad we've had an esports focused, like, and and favorite <laughs> frag movie focused uh, episode this week. Um, so for me, it's uh, controversial. Um, I really loved Modern Warfare 3 for ages, but I think actually Modern Warfare 2019 is my favourite. I really, really love that game. That was the game that brought me back into Call of Duty. The Vanguard's kicked me back out again. <laughs> but but uh, Modern Warfare 2019 was great. Um, great campaign. Wasn't a big fan of Spec Ops. Still not massively into Warzone, like that, which followed on that year or in 2020. Um, but multiplayer just, I don't know, just hit me, hit me right. It just... Everything felt like a little bit more, a little bit, just a teensy bit slower, a little bit more tactical, less about spamming grenades. Um, but maybe that's just just the way I played it. But um, yeah, I I really enjoyed uh, Modern Warfare 2019. How about you, Ross? So uh, I'm gonna answer it on a, on a few different fronts. Favorite one to play from like a public gameplay point of view, Modern Warfare 2. Like just the fun of getting home with your mates after school and quick scoping and. Just chatting absolute shite in the in the pregame lobbies and stuff. Uh, so yeah, that that for just the, the fun side of it. Uh, in terms of playing from a competitive point of view, I absolutely love Black Ops One. Uh, and, and the secret to playing Black Ops One was not playing the MLG rule set and instead playing the Deserter rule set and getting rid of the Famas, and then it became a really really good game. Uh, but but also I really I really enjoyed um. Black Ops 2 as well, for, from a playing point of view. In terms of spectating it, from an esports point of view, uh, Advanced Warfare and Black Ops 3, I, I really enjoyed watching them because the skill gap was so high and the skill ceiling was so high, but playing them absolutely infuriated me. So, yeah, there, there's kind of... For, for me, there's there's that playing Call of Duty for fun, playing Call of Duty at a competitive level, and then uh, watching and, and spectating on a competitive level. So, hopefully I've answered that a bit. Yeah, yeah, great. <clears throat> Excuse me, sorry. Um, <clears throat> Breens has asked, "What is your favourite McDonald's order, and why is the Big Mac dry?" Big Mac is dry, isn't it? No, it is not. It is delicious, and that, that question offends me. <laughs> wow, Mel is a Big it, Mac. It stand. can be quite dry. I yeah, am a bit dry. I'm a vegetarian as well, so you know how frustrating it is that I can't get a Big Mac. It oh, is okay. the annoying I was thing say, ever. I was going to say, like, what does it matter well, if, if it makes you feel better? <laughs> If it makes you feel better, it's dry. No. So you're not right, I'll tell you a secret, and this is really embarrassing. Once, I wanted a Big Mac wait, so wait, bad. Wait, before, before we say, say your secret, we should remember that we are on a podcast that would be published on the internet. That's <laughs> fine, that's fine. Uh, it's fine. So, okay, because it's not much of a secret once I hit publish. <laughs> oh, it's fine. It's a little bit embarrassing. So I've been veggie now for like five years, and a couple of years ago, I wanted a Big Mac so bad that I went into McDonald's, and I said that my sister was pregnant but a vegetarian and she really really wanted a Big Mac so could they give me the bun the sauce the, the gherkins and everything so I could make it here at home and then I went home put two corn burgers on and I made my own at home but they gave me it all for free because I said she was pregnant 
Uh, she wasn't. It was a complete lie. I just really wanted a Big Mac. If you work at McDonald's in the in the Manchester area, please get in touch because we will we will pass on her details so you can get your one pound twenty nine back. <laughs> you know what? It worked and it was amazing. And I have no shame. I, I have a bit of shame. I've never done it again because they all looked at me really weird when I asked. But don't ask. Don't yeah, yet. I can't imagine why. My, my Mackey's order now is even more embarrassing. I just get a cheeseburger with no burger and then I just put chips in it and make a chip butty. Oh my god. I know. So when you say that you're looking forward to your Mackies every every week, <laughs> that's that's yeah. Mel, yeah, has, chi- Mel literally has a McDonald's before every show we recall. <laughs> she had one tonight. What was in your order tonight? Was it just your cheese and chip butty? Yeah, and Mozzie Dippers. I know. Oh, oh my word! Listen, right? It's hard being a vegetarian. It's hard out there. They've brought out the McPlant. I don't like it. So this is what I'm doing. I, um, I respect it. I re- I respect the ve- the ve- the vegetarian <laughs> angle. I do get that. I do get that. But it's just like. It's, the, it's McDonald's, isn't it? Like, just but fair play, fair play. I'm not judging. I'm not. Ju- it sounds like I'm judging, but I'm not. I promise you. you you're, you're judging a little I bit, just, but it's fine. I'm really sorry. I'm really. What's sorry. your Mackey's order then? What's, what's your order? Uh, <laughs> um, the opposite of yours, seemingly. Um, I go for I go for like a double cheeseburger on the side. Right. Uh, I'm a big boy. All right. It's okay. I, I can I can take that. But I also have a a large uh, chicken select five. Is it five? They do five-piece meal because um, the chicken selects are like the the best thing at McDonald's in my in my mind. So I get that, and then I have like the double cheeseburger on the side. And, so um, you have a cheeseburger chaser after your meal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Everyone does that. No, Mel, you are you so are I officially have... allowed to judge me. By the way, it's okay. I I hate myself <clears> afterwards. <throat> I sit there and I prod my stomach like Baymax in Two Hundred Six, <laughs> and I'm like, so I'm like, I can't work out why it's not working. Well, I, I'm I'm five foot eight, and my order is either a large Big Mac meal with a mayo chicken, mozzarella dippers, and a milkshake, or a large uh, chicken sandwich meal with a double cheeseburger, mozzarella dippers, and a milkshake. So yeah, and and that's that's if I don't decide to add anything fun to it. So yeah, that's like, not fun. That's that's done. like three meals to me. If you, if you're buying food, if you're buying food and not preparing it for yourself, you might as well make sure you're going to be full. Yeah, I suppose that's the thing with McDonald's. You always feel like you're not that full after like an hour or so. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I still and hate I myself an hour or so after, but sometimes you need like a pizza to wash it. <laughs> Honestly, I think the Coke's the best bit, as I always show you. But the Coke is my favourite bit. I ordered a pizza. Don't take last that out of context. And it, and it was so big. I've had it. For lunch. <laughs> I, I, I was definitely taking dinner after this podcast as well. How um, big was that pizza? It was it was ginormous. I clicked the wrong button and it was huge. <laughs> and I, I, I was like, I, well, I'll, I'm not swallowing my pride and sending it back. So I'm going to eat it. And it's, it's Did you not look at the price? It's literally three <laughs> like sittings. It. Three sittings it's going to take me to finish this pizza. It um, was £300. You should have known how big it was going to be. <laughs> <laughs> it's like it's like, a, it's like those novelty checks being pizza for <laughs> <laughs> Um <laughs> So, uh, Andrew Andrew Hyten uh, asks, the genre of game you hate, you all hate the most, and why? I can go first because it's really easy for me. I hate anything that's like too heavy on survival elements. I don't want to make my character eat. I don't want to make my character go to the toilet. I don't want my, to make my character sleep. Like, Just let me play the game. No, I agree with that. But that is a good point. I really dislike open world. Sorry, Ross. I think I probably most dislike uh just anything that is popular <laughs> um 
Battle Royale, Battle Royale. I know I always say this. I'm just not. I'm not into Battle Royales, which is funny because I'm. I'm really into sort of action games and shooters. But I guess like maybe from like more of like a, a genre side of things. Uh, I, I hate to admit, it, but like indie games just don't do it for me. Like, yeah. I'm sure there are some that would, but but there's just there's so many of them and there's so much going on and I just I just I don't have the energy to, to try and figure out which ones. are To be fair, for. if you take out the indie games, Ross might have a chance of catching up with the last ten years. So we have to yeah, give him true. that because he's got to get he's got to get he's got to get his knowledge up. Uh, we we're checking on Batman next week, by the way. Ross. <laughs> oh yeah. Oh, I played I played I've played it I've played it. Well, I've played the first scene. Okay. So I've walked in. <laughs> And there's some there's some guys that are trying so, to open like a safe, you, and then I walk in, but I'm not still... Batman, I'm Catwoman. Oh, okay. And I, bah, I beat them all up, and then and then and then it cuts to cutscene, and then I turned it off. Okay, so it went well then. <laughs> oh no, I really I really enjoyed that fight. I just uh, you know, like I say, I'm I'm trying to make things digestible. Yeah. So you know, right, we'll we'll check in again next week then. Um, so uh, Chris Reggie Waite says, do any of you see NFTs ever becoming viable in gaming? I'm hearing lots of different opinions. Who wants, yeah. to, who wants to tackle this? I think I think they will. I mean, the way, way it's going at the moment, when you've got all these celebrities getting in on it, like Justin Bieber dropped like 1.2 million on one, didn't he, or whatever it was. Like every person you respect in like acting and stuff seems to be jumping on this trend. Like it, it's gonna, it, it's natural that it would then leak into games and stuff like I guess maybe 10-15 years ago we wouldn't have thought that you'd have to like buy loot boxes and stuff like I never saw that coming um or like I, I don't know it like it it's probably just gonna happen isn't it so might as well just get on board with it I think the prices will drop I think significantly um I don't think they'll be selling them for like millions anymore but over time um it'll just become more it, but then I guess it's just like buying skins isn't it in games that's exactly it. It, it, the, the issue they've got at the moment is no one's everyone's trying to money grab and it's all about like these lazy projects i i do genuinely think eventually we're going to find a way of, of finding some good use cases like you said there with, with loot boxes and things like that you know, let's say you're a csgo player and you've got one of these dragon lords that are worth like ten thousand fucking dollars uh if you've got that in nft form so that when you get onto a, like, the new counter strike that comes out or something like that you've still got your your bloody dragon law that you can take game you know these sort of things make sense uh and and there's all sorts of technical things of nfts and crypto that i don't understand but i'm sure will work well in gaming uh stop you being scammed and things but at the moment the issue is you're at that early sort of adoption stage where most people are just grifters it's the wild west who are trying to yeah who are who are trying to scam you and no and none of it's actually worth anything at the moment and and it's all it's all kind of speculation uh and and gamers don't want that you know I, i saw something the other day and someone was like talking about you know the reason everyone should be excited about nfts is because um you're gonna finally be getting paid to play and stuff i was like i, I don't like when i'm playing a video game i'm not thinking to myself oh this and by the way i do play video games i'm not thinking to myself oh this is so shit i should be earning five pounds an hour for playing this game you're doing it for fun yeah, you know, i, no I don't want to sit there and, and be like oh great this is work now i mean it, yeah I mean, yeah i mean, yeah, I mean look, gr- grinding a game yeah, grinding a game it can be annoying, but if you're grinding a game and not enjoying it, then that's fine, you know. But you know, like you know, people who go out and play Sunday league football. They go out and play Sunday league football because they love playing football. They're not expecting to suddenly make a living out of it or get rewarded in monkey pictures on and stuff. So you know, I a hundred percent believe there's going to be a way of making NFTs viable. I just don't like the way anyone's going about it at the moment, uh, and. The, 
the thing that people are risking doing is completely pushing people the other way because i've seen some like really hot takes in the other direction as well you know where where people are just absolutely against it all and i can't blame them because i mean look at the crap it's all over twitter at the moment can, can you blame people for being completely anti it yeah for me it's it's another way of uh, differentiating the haves and the haves nots and i think as well like the the game's kind of publishing industry is kind of a mess in a lot of ways anyway because you know games it's so hard for a game to make sales expectations it's so hard for a game to recoup its costs because development costs are so high you know you think you know we all work for i mean ross and i work at remote companies so our overheads are less but mel you work in an office that office has to be paid for um yeah. you're talking about like huge amounts of technology software staff benefits hr you know all these kinds of things um that all factors into a game's budget and then that doesn't even take into account marketing you know um and so publishers are always going to look for a way to get that money back and i think nfts it's nfts now it will be something else in the future and i think as long as they can work out in a way that's not oppressive and it's optional and it's opt-in i think there's probably sadly room for it in the future um i mean when you look at things like do you remember uh like i think it's probably about 15 years ago probably not even that now actually probably about 10 years ago you used to have to pay extra to put a uh, a code in to play online with a used game like, i don't know if you, you guys remember that but like mm, yeah. ea were doing that big well, time this this was actually where well, you've just said that one thing that someone said that i thought was a really really good take uh is why if if these companies because they always do it like we're trying to do this for the environment we're trying to be you know this this is us trying to help you you're not you're trying to make money and someone literally just replied i, I wish i could remember who it was it was someone i follow on twitter like if that was the case then you would let me sell on my digital copy of a game when i'm finished with it via an nft mm. you know why can't i resell my my digital copy of this game because you don't give a shit about us you want us to have to then you know we spend 70 pounds or, or however many dollars it is for, for a new game play it and then and then it's just stuck there you've got it forever you know so that's that's one of the issues i do have with all of this is it's not very it's all this smoke and mirrors and, and how much they care about us and let's be honest they they just don't yeah no i agree and and humanity is always is, is never short of ways to like really really fuck up the planet just that little bit more every generation but um yeah uh one last question then because it kicks off in like an hour's time before we record this um what are your hopes for the nintendo direct now i, I really i really want to know ross's thoughts because ross doesn't have any sort of background in nintendo so i really want to know what ross what would you want from a nintendo direct um Loads of Pokemon news, uh, a, a new Animal Crossing, um, something about Breath of the Wild, uh, <laughs> something about and 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 a, and a free Switch, please. Okay, yeah, I'll I'll, uh, I'll get Nintendo on the phone now. See if they can <laughs> they can hook up. Uh, Mel, any requests? No, I've seen, Direct? I've seen a lot of people talking about Kirby, but again, I don't know much about Nintendo either. Um, I feel like such a Ross. As these podcasts go on, I realise I really don't know much about gaming. <laughs> I, I, I'm sat with two Rosses. Yeah, no, you're, you're all good though, because you guys, you guys just chat about esports, and I'll just sort of fade into the background, so it's all good. And um, for me, I just want another 3D Mario platformer. The Switch is my first Nintendo console, and um, one of the first kind of games I probably got into on it was the uh, was Super Mario Odyssey, and that game is probably top ten for me. Uh, just genuinely incredible game. Um, 
and and yeah give me a sequel like it's so weird that nintendo hasn't made another 3d mario game where you think that would be like an absolute banker but i i guess they've just got so many projects on the go at the moment but uh yeah so that's it from me but uh yeah, i think that's all of our questions as well just reading through yeah that's that's all the ones we had oh uh daryl that that last one was from daryl uh, and he also wanted to know what are our best times for emerald hill act one i can't remember uh but it wouldn't have been good because i'm the kind of person that goes back and does the multiple pathways do you guys play Sonic? I don't know what Emerald Hill is. No. <laughs> no Sonic fans here. <laughs> You're worse than me. I know. How bad? <laughs> yeah, no. So they, they, there you have it, Daryl. I've got to get them to play Sonic next. Um, but yeah, I think that's that's everything for this week's episode. Actually, that was a really good episode. It was, it was really nice to have kind of like nice long conversations from from you know the the questions that we got, and also for Ross to give us that heads up on what's going on with Counter Strike um, at the start. Yeah. Uh, uh, as I said, I've really not done a very good job of explaining that. So please go in and listen to people more informed and better at that that sort of thing than me. Uh, they'll, you know, if I've if I've sort of misreported anything as well, I do apologise. Uh, any closing statements from yourselves before? We, uh, it sounds like you're on trial, doesn't it? Uh, any, anything you want to say before we go? <laughs> well, I use covering the direct tonight because I am in fifty-five minutes time. Uh, yeah, I, our US shift will be. Sure. Oh, you're so lucky, aren't you? So don't have to, you can just go to bed. Bet that's nice. I mean, not really, because I've, I've got I've got to edit this podcast. Oh but, yeah. Um, but yeah, and then, and then I've got other work to do. But yeah, I won't be covering them. Forever, but I will be watching it, so I'll be thinking of you, man. Okay. But, uh, yeah. Thanks. I'll I'll look on Twitter and stuff. Yeah. <laughs> also follow it through the, through the Twitter reactions, which then they will be vociferous for sure. Um, so yeah, thank you everyone for for joining for episode four. Uh, it's been an absolute pleasure as always with uh, with Mel and Ross. Um, do if you do listen to us on a, on a podcast app, please do try and give us a rating if you can, uh, as long as it's above four stars, of course. <laughs> I'm kidding. If if we if we get feedback, we do try and take it into account. But um, yeah, thank you so much for your time, and uh, we'll catch you next week. Bye. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, I, I understand now. I get it. <laughs> well, I hope uh, whoever's listening to this podcast is going to listen to this club. It's going to listen to us while they're playing games. <laughs> listen to us. <laughs> can't say it. Just can't say it. Beating the shit out of some, someone in GTA and you just hear Mel like last week going, I'm a nosy cow. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's true. <laughs> <laughs> Um, we did have one, we did have one comment actually, and I, I totally forgot. Um, Aya, 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 Aya said, uh, "What's the best game of February? Why is it Elden Ring?" I genuinely think that she will probably. Imagine if it's like a cyberpunk all over again. That's what. Shit. That's literally what I was just about to say. Imagine.
after all this I hype. I can't wait for more games. Uh, games. Oh that's god. Gonna, that's gonna be that. That's the worst part about another Souls. Like, we get a reviewer. Like we usually get reviewers who have played every Souls game. You know, they help us with the guide and stuff. And then the gamers, they're like, yeah, but. I'm just. Am I? Am I negative today? I feel like I'm negative. Today. No, you're fine. <laughs> I love easy mode, and I'm not afraid to say it. I would happily play easy mode for everything. Give me the. Give me the story. Give me the story. That's what I want. Yeah, I like. I don't want to just stress for six hours over one level. Like, I'm not the best at games in the world. I'm not gonna pretend I am. I just enjoy them. Um, so I will happily go on easy mode. Fuck it. I I tend to just think that I'll go in on a game like on whatever their standard difficulty is, like what they intended you to, to play on. Because um, I think usually game de- developers have a fairly decent idea of the balance of their game. Um, so, you know, I, I, I tend to go with that. There are some games that, that I, I want to sort of challenge myself a bit more on. There are other games where I'm just like, yeah, do you know like some games uh, where you, you, like, you get better at the game, but at the same time, like your enemies level up. And you think, do you know what? I've, I've spent all this time get, getting stronger and getting all this good loot and all this and yet these fucking enemies still take a million hits to kill sometimes with that i just get bored of just hitting something repeatedly and then i just turn the difficulty down so that they'll die faster uh yeah Uh, why because that's pretty much the whole loop you get better and you still don't do as much damage (laughs) (laughs) yeah i just shot him with a rocket launcher like why is he still going um, yeah, that'd be controller across the room, smashing <laughs> through the wall, uh, well, be, being told off and uh, shouting. Yeah, before we get onto any more uh, difficult discourse, I feel like we probably do a whole episode on that. Um, I think that's that's pretty much it for the show for this week. So, um, yeah, thank you everyone for listening. If you if you do find us on your podcast app of choice, I think we may not be showing up on Apple just yet. Um, but uh, if you could give us a review or like a little rating, um, anything over four stars is great. Please. <laughs> if, if you can do anything less than that, please don't bother. Please. <laughs> um, <laughs> only good vibes. Only good vibes. But um, yeah, thank you so much for for, for ch- tuning in and having a little listen. And uh, yeah, thank you so much. Over to you guys. Yeah. Um. Uh, follow us on Twitter if you don't already. Um. But I'm pretty sure most of you will who currently listen will be. Uh, people that we, Twitter, we know Twitter through social media. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, uh, and, and another thing that I've been I've been telling Lloyd that we should do because I'm the motivated one who does all the work behind the scenes <clears throat> uh, is is we'll, we'll probably set up a Discord server or something soon uh, because I know how to use Discord now and I have a profile picture and everything. Wow, I've got Nitro. That's how fancy I am. I don't know what that is. <laughs> I'm starting to think they pay more than. <laughs> I, I got it free with game pass don't tell anyone oh okay <laughs> uh, but yeah thank you everyone for listening we'll see you next time bye or hear you cheers bye <laughs> <laughs> right or oh, dusty is he gone <laughs> no Whatever you're funny, Peacock's got it exclusively. 
Stream classic sitcoms like The Office, Parks and Recreation, and Two and a Half Men. Plus, catch Peacock original comedies like AP Bio and Say by the Bell. For all your exclusive comedy faves, go to PeacockTV.com and get started. At Kroger, we believe fresh means holding our produce to a higher standard. That's why we do up to a 27-point inspection on our produce. Like for citrus, we check for things like scarring and sunburn. Yep, oranges can sunburn. And we'll make sure you never see it. In fact, we only allow the best oranges, lemons, and grapefruits to reach our shelves. Because when it comes to fresh for everyone, we believe the juice is worth the squeeze. Kroger, fresh for everyone. This is the FCB Radio Network, home of the best personalities and where real talk lives. Online at fcbradio.com. FCB. Jeff Brown, and you tuned into another exciting episode of the Jeff Brown Show. And listen, I'm by myself again today. My uh, my partner in crime, my man, Darvio Kingpin Morrow, is out today. But guess what? You already know what I do. I handle my business. I do what I do. Listen, I just want to get into some hot topics. We got some great guests on today. We got Mr. Tony Viola. Uh, he will be on the show today. We also have. Um, coming up, uh, Miss Elena Carpenter, uh, she will be talking about uh, the House of Glow, which uh, is one of the featured fashion shows that will be um, be performing here in the city of Cleveland, All-Star Weekend, NBA All-Star Weekend is a big weekend, getting ready to come up uh, next week, actually, so we're looking forward to that, and um, the city of Cleveland uh, is excited. Uh, there's excitement in the air and, uh, we're looking forward to that. So man, it's a lot going on, a lot going on. Um, but again, uh, I, uh, want to get into some of these hot topics. There's a lot going on. Uh, first off, let me kick off this with the Nelly video. Nelly even went viral. Uh, he, <laughs> Nelly catching it, catching it right now. Uh, my man Nelly, uh, reports, uh, the reports come out about Nelly that, Hey, his Instagram account, um, uh, uploaded a video uh, with him receiving oral sex, and um, hey, he was uh, ah, he was getting uh, some 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 great treatment from what I hear, and I didn't get a chance to see the video, but um, uh, looking at some of the comments, some of the ladies and uh, have been that's that that has saw the video, some of the men that saw the video, uh, that are uh, Instagram followers, Twitter followers, man, and some of the comments are funny, some of the comments are, are you know, are just uh, real comments coming from real people, uh, you know, so they they commented on the young lady's performance, uh, they, uh, they commented on Nelly, you know, uh, and his, uh, I guess you could say, his his manhood, if you want to call it that, I don't know. You know, so there's so much uh, to unpack there. Um, Nelly since has issued 
uh, an immediate apology um, for the video being leaked. Uh, it was not his intention for that video to be leaked. But whatever happened, I don't know how it got leaked, but it did get leaked. He don't know. And he said that um, he is very sorry. So uh, I guess words to the wise, uh, if you're videoing yourself, uh, getting any type of sexual uh, pleasure, uh, make sure you keep your phone locked and uh, make sure you protect your phone. Uh, do something, you know, put it in iCloud, put it in Google Maps or photo, whatever you got to do. Uh, but make sure you don't put it on Instagram. Because, um, as you can see, uh, these things uh, can have a viral effect, and uh, you just don't want to be, um, you know, mentioned, uh, especially if you're a celebrity or someone of nobility uh, in the uh, social media world uh, with uh, any type of issues like that. So, uh, again, you know, so a uh, big shout out to Nelly, man. God bless you, bruh. Uh, you know, that's, that's dope, but, uh, anyway, uh, <laughs> moving on to the show, man, that's crazy, uh, Super Bowl is this weekend coming up, everybody's placing their bets, everybody's excited, um, make people making their pick, you know, I'm personally going with Joe Burrow, I like Joe Burrow, uh, I just, you know, I'm going with the underdog, and for real, for real, he's not really the underdog, so I'm, I'm, I'm gonna go with Joe Burrow, uh, I'm a, I, I mean, I'm not really a Cincinnati fan, but I am a Joe Burrow fan. Uh, I'm a, <clears throat> everybody know that I'm a Tom Brady fan. Everybody know that he retired here recently. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm a, a Patriots fan as well. Uh, you know, they're going through whatever they're going through. They're trying to get that, uh, that team back together, back on the winning side. They had a decent season last year. And everybody know I'm a Browns fan, but I am definitely a Joe Burrow fan. So going to, going to uh, make my pick for Joe Burrow. But here's the thing, though. I want to uh, talk a little bit about this. Shaq is throwing the ultimate party, okay, uh, this Super Bowl weekend. And including that party, he has partnered with Win Nightlife, and they are uh, offering a ultra VIP Super Bowl package at the cost or the tune of $1 million, in this package, you get a, a, a round trip uh, on a private air on a private jet uh, uh, to pick you up, you know, from where you live, you know, you you know, to bring you to Las Vegas. In addition to that, uh, you get VIP uh, tables on the stage. You also get a Rolls Royce, a Rolls Royce. I'm sorry, a Phantom. Uh, as your transportation, you get um, immediate access into all the clubs, to all the parties, and um, it's just crazy. You're gonna be getting oh, and you get unlimited booze. You get unlimited liquor, so you know, so and you'll be good because you have transportation, so you can get drunk, you can do whatever you want to do, and um, and just uh, party all out. I mean, listen, they talking about some of the some some big celebrities, big performances, uh, you know, Zed to be in the building. Lil Wayne is performing. So you already know it's going down. Uh, Diplo performing. Then they say Shaq going to perform. I mean, they got uh, Grunt going to be in the building. T-Pain going to be in the building. Patrick Mahomes, one of the, one of the, another talented uh, uh, quarterback in the NFL. Uh, doing his thing as well, going to be in the building. It's going to be so much going on, man. They also tell me that the Migos going to be in the building. So, I mean, when you look at 
all this stuff. It is going to be crazy. I mean, that's going to be a hell of a party. And uh, I just hate that I won't be there. But uh, guess what? We got some parties again coming up in about a week or so uh, right here in our city. It'll be All-Star Weekend. So I'm, I'm hoping to uh, catch the party that Shaq will be having here in Cleveland, Ohio. Looking forward to that as well. And um, just, um, man, it's just a lot of going on, man, to unpack here, man. You know, February is a great time, um, you know, and just, you know, really uh, looking, you know, just look, kind of looking into uh, what's going on uh, here as well. Um, in addition to that, I want to talk about uh, this Joe Rogan situation. Joe Rogan, um, uh, uh, Internet uh, Sensation podcast host on um, Spotify, biggest, one of the biggest uh, podcasting platforms in the world. Um, Joe Rogan, um, video surfaced about him using the, the N-word. Um, you know, everybody know that Joe Rogan is a white man. And um, in, in today's society where racial, racial tension is not hidden, it's out there. Uh, you know, everything that we've seen here in the last uh, three or four years with um, uh, uh, with the, uh, the killing of Ahmaud, uh, of Ahmaud Aubrey, uh, with these, uh, these three white men that, you know, that just, you know, just killed him in cold blood, uh, the, you know, Derek Chauvin, uh, uh, the police officer in, uh, Kenosha, Wisconsin that killed, uh, George Floyd and, you know, uh, the, the police that killed, uh, Brianna Taylor. I mean, it's just uh, and the list goes on, and you're living in a time where racial tension has is definitely um, is definitely uh, is evident, um, is very sensitive, uh, and sensitive in the fact that this is this is a sensitive situation, and um, and and Spotify um, comes out uh, with an open apology, but have not removed. Joe Rogan from the platform, okay? Now, here's the thing. Here's the thing. I, and I have something to say about that. We, um, here's my issue with this. Me as a black man, if I use any type of racial slur or anything that in uh, that is racially motivated as I speak to an audience. I personally will be canceled. As a black man, it is harder for me in this society and in this culture to prove myself and to earn my way in this culture. It is. So if I openly and willfully use certain words that brings about an offense, I'm automatically canceled. My co-producer, uh, Darvio Morrow, he's always, uh, he said, I give him gray hair every week when I talk because he never knows what I'm going to say. He say, because he think I'm going to get canceled. So I, 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 I am very aggressive in how I talk in my opinions, but I also understand that I have to walk a fine line when I am dealing with issues. And here's the thing. When we talk about the cancel culture, cancel culture, now we're seeing that 
it picks what it wants to cancel. It picks what it wants to cancel. And so now it's okay for a white man to use the N-word and to talk about the N-word in a derogatory way, in a funny way, when it was this word that was used to to uh, to uh, be disrespectful. Uh, it was a used. It was a term used during slavery and during uh, this, uh, during a movement where where white supremacy um, did not accept blacks. It was a derogatory word, and there was no cancel culture when Martin Luther King and Malcolm X and great civil rights leaders were fighting for the survival and the place for blacks in a, for, uh, in America. Here's the other part about this. I'm a black man in America. Correct. Why do uh, uh, I need uh, to have a legislation that gives me the right to vote? You know, so these are things that we have to think about. Blacks have always have had to always fight for their place in America, even today, where we have uh, Congress. Senate Republicans that are not moving forward to help make sure that we as blacks in America have the right to vote. But yet here it is, Joe Rogan, he, through his words of using this derogatory word, he, cont- he helps push the narrative by using the N-word. But if I use a word that's derogatory, I'm immediately canceled. They pull my show. They pull my show from Sacramento. They'll pull my show from Kansas and Nebraska and Kokomo, Indiana and Rockford, Illinois. They'll pull my show from the top 60 uh, category from iHeartRadio and the black culture uh, uh, from the black culture category. I will not. my, 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 My platform will be questioned and pulled from Apple podcast platform. As we continue to chart in the top 300, I will not, I, I, I would not survive. Spotify has, has given this man a major, major contracting and podcasting deal. How do you make it right, Spotify? Give a black man a $100 million contract. Give him the sponsorship. Give him the same thing that you gave Joe Rogan. Joe Rogan has, 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 and I'm not saying he's not good, as, uh, has, is not a good person. You know, I'm not saying that he's uh, not a, he, he may be a great person. I don't know. He just did a dumbass thing. He made a bad mistake. We can't, cancel culture cannot choose and pick who can be canceled at any given time. It don't work like that. If you're going to cancel something, cancel it. Cancel culture wanted to cancel Dave Chappelle. But guess what? Netflix stood by Dave Chappelle because Dave Chappelle's message was, listen, we have freedom of of speech. Why can't we disagree um, and be respectful when we disagree with certain issues and certain things that we that we relate to that we're not that that doesn't relate to us? He dealt with that in a respectful and funny manner. But yet, cancel culture wanted to cancel Dave Chappelle. 
Uh, listen, go subscribe to the show right now. I got to go take a break. Uh, man, there's so much to unpack today. Listen, stay tuned. My interview coming up with Tony uh, Viola is coming up after the break. Also, make sure you guys tune in for my bonus interview with my friend and my sister, Miss Elena Carpenter, who is the producer of the highly anticipated House of Glow uh, fashion show uh, that is sponsored by Miss Gloria James, who is the mother of NBA superstar and icon, world icon, sports icon, LeBron James. Listen, we got more to come on the Jeff Brown Show. Go subscribe right now on iHeartRadio and on Spotify. Don't go nowhere. We'll be right back. Peacock streaming the biggest sporting events, exclusive originals, and the latest movies. This February, we've got Super Bowl 56, the 2022 Winter Olympics, and the Peacock Original Bel Air. Plus the new movie, Marry Me, in theaters and streaming Valentine's Day. Sign up now at PeacockTV.com. This is Peacock. I love it! It's streaming your favorite shows, movies, live sports, breaking news, exclusive originals. It's The Office. That's what she said. Chrisley knows best. It's going to be Todd's Way or the Highway. And Peacock original shows like Punky Brewster. Holy mackinole. So whether you're in the mood for every live WWE pay-per-view or every episode of Law & Order SVU, Peacock's got you covered. Peacock. Watch for free. Upgrade for more. Stream now at PeacockTV.com. These days, it seems like everybody's talking, but no one is actually listening to the things they're saying. Critical thinking isn't dead, but it's definitely low on oxygen. Join me, Kira Davis, on Just Listen to Yourself every week as we reason through issues big and small, critique our own ideas, and learn to draw our talking points all the way out to their logical conclusions. Subscribe to Just Listen to Yourself with Kira Davis, an FCB radio podcast on Apple, on Spotify, iHeart, or wherever you get your podcasts this is the jeff brown show and we're back we're back uh told you all uh he's no stranger to the jeff brown show my man tony viola is on the show he's back uh thank you tony for coming out man and hanging out with me again just doing a follow-up uh to our last conversation and you man i mean brother um you have been phenomenal, and and and, and I've, I've been watching your story, and uh, just stand, you know, in communication with you when I can, and and wanted to bring you back, man, because I, I think you have um, some updates, and and I, and I'm going to kind of recap here uh, what we're talking about for those of you who are not familiar with Tony Viola. Tony Viola was convicted um, in both state and uh, the federal uh, system court system and sentenced to uh, over, I believe, was over 10 years in prison? Yeah, least. almost 13 years. Yeah, almost 13 years uh, in prison uh, for allegedly committing uh, mortgage fraud during the subprime mortgage lending era. And um, he uh, is one of the uh, uh, people that I would say out of maybe close to 1,100 people that were convicted by a particular mortgage task force um, uh, headed by um, a former DOJ prosecutor by the name of Mark Bennett, um, the current uh, assistant attorney general for district uh, prosec- attorney general, I believe now, uh, uh, Dan Casares, and one of the uh, former prosecutors by the name of Michael Jackson, uh, who is, I believe now, uh, a, a sitting judge uh, who's, uh, you know, I don't know if he, I think he's retired, semi-retired, but 
Um, he he had, but he he is still uh, rather active in the court system. Uh, uh, Tony has since uh, uh, made several appeals, has one in the state, and is currently right now um, uh, in the midst of another court hearing or just finished a court hearing uh, a little while ago, and is now um, looking for a, a ruling um, uh, in this last hearing. Um, so let's let's kind of maybe uh, break it down for 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 the listening audience, Tony, because I want everybody to kind of grasp what we're talking about because it's a lot to unpack. Okay, sure. Um, let's let's take it simple, Tony. Tell the people who you are. Let's talk about uh, your your former occupation, your former business, and and just give them a little bit of history about who you are. Okay. First of all, thanks for having me on. I really, it's, it's a great opportunity, a great honor to be on your show, Jeff. Thank you. Absolutely. Um, I'm born and raised in Cleveland, always wanted to be a part of our business community. I grew up when Cleveland was called the Rust Belt and kind of on its back. I went to college in Washington, DC, but I came back here and started a real estate business. And if you fast forward 15 years, I had, um, with my colleagues, we built a great business. We had over a hundred sales associates, offices in Florida and Ohio. We were real estate agents selling property, leasing property, property management, and construction. The government said that I stole $46 million and devised the nation's largest mortgage fraud scheme, and they accused me of owning companies that I didn't own or get money from. So I refused to plead guilty. And like you said, I was convicted in federal court, but I was indicted on the same charges by the same task force. And there was a second trial coming up, and someone inside the prosecutor's office named Don Pacella said that the prosecutors, Mark Bennett, Dan Caceres, Michael Jackson were hiding evidence and she provided me evidence that indicated there was no mortgage fraud. Nobody tricked any banks into making any no money down loans. It turns out that the banks offered these programs. They had these programs. They were allowing investors to buy multiple properties with no money down. So it was basically like accusing me of tricking McDonald's into selling quarter pounders. If banks are offering the loans and promoting the loans and, and approving loans that they know were no money down, there's no crime. And by the way, I didn't even have any involvement in the mortgages. So I refused to plead guilty. And at some point, the government realized that I didn't own these companies and started playing games with evidence, hiding evidence, hiding records. And that second trial not only establishes my innocence, but probably the innocence of almost everybody prosecuted by the task force. So for a long time, I sat in jail uh, fighting my case on my own. But more recently, a lot of other people have come forward. We're stronger together. There's a website about my case called freetonyviola.com and people have been reaching out and communicating. So we've got quite a movement here and we've amassed quite a lot of evidence to indicate that these cases were wrongfully prosecuted and quite a lot of innocent people had their lives ruined for no reason whatsoever. So we are in a fight for justice. Wow, that's amazing. Um, and that's a lot. So let's try to um, unpack that. So you were convicted for mortgage fraud. Right. The government said that I devised a scheme to trick banks into making no money down loans, that normally the banks wouldn't make these type loans, except I came up with this dummy paperwork and told people to lie about how much money they had and that therefore the banks made all these loans. That's just not true because the government's own documents prove that the banks offered the loans and that people had indicated that they had no down payment and, and no income. So there's just no scam. So the government's theory was wrong. Right. And then if you went house by house or transaction by transaction, 
people submitted loans to these big banks, JP Morgan, they could have said no. I mean, all the paperwork said that people were buying houses with no money down. There's no scam. There's no fraud. But that's what the government was accusing us, that my real estate company caused the recession. That's what they were saying. And that I stole $46 million. I do not have $46 million. And I don't think our company was quite big enough to cause a recession in our country. So the whole thing was a scapegoat. It was a, it was a way to scapegoat people. It was a way for prosecutors to get headlines. But they destroyed a lot of lives in the process. And what's going on is outrageous. Um, by the way, you asked about what's new. Let me tell you, Mark Bennett was fired by the U.S. attorney here in Cleveland. We have proof that he's committed misconduct and he was fired. Now, they're not uh, giving us the documents and evidence, but there is a cover-up going on inside the U.S. attorney's office here in Cleveland to protect these prosecutors that broke the law and hid evidence and bullied people into pleading guilty or put people on trial without providing the right uh, records and evidence. Had the government given me the, the evidence or given anyone who was prosecuted in this task force the evidence that Dawn Baselic uh, gave me, nobody would have been convicted because the banks offered the loans. They knew people were not putting any uh, money down. There's just simply no fraud. No one took any action to trick any bank into doing anything. Right. So now let's talk about that. So you, so the, the prosecutor's argument was that people like yourself and those that uh, they they prosecuted, went to these lenders and and, and made the lenders uh, take bad loans and said, hey, you know, take this loan. Uh, it's a bad loan, but I need you to close. Is that is that what they're saying? I guess. I mean, as a real estate agent, we don't have any involvement with the loans. It wasn't like Correct. I flew to the underwriting department and tricked them into doing it. But basically, they said that the way the loans were submitted or the way the paperwork was submitted, the bank thought that people were making these big giant down payments and they really weren't. And so, but that's not true because in the bank's own files, it said that people were not making a down payment and they approved it. So if they approved it knowingly, there's just simply no fraud. You know, fraud is a way, if, if, for example, Jeff, let's say I wanna sell you a house and there's a lot of water in the basement, but I put bookshelves in front and I paint it up real quick and, and, you, and I lie to you and say there's no water in the basement. Well, you probably might still have bought the house, but you might not have paid as much because there's a lot of work that has to be done, right? That's right. fraud when someone's actively yeah. doing Failure something. Failure to disclose. Else. Right, exactly. In our case, we wrote the contracts as customers not making a down payment. And on the loan applications, it said they didn't have any money. So they're just simply the theory was wrong. Of what the government was saying was just nonsense. And specifically, because remember, a crime is a specific instance in time. So they would say on 1170 East 148th Street, you guys dummied up all this paperwork. So there was a count in the case. I'm supposed to go to jail for five years on a particular transaction. But when you when you actually went through the bank documents, you realized that the lender had waived income, waived all these down payment requirements. And the government knew it the whole time. At the second trial, we destroyed the government's case with their own documents. There's nothing Tony Viola could say that's more powerful than seeing these underwriting worksheets where these banks are saying, sure, go ahead and buy the house, no money down. And by the way, they also had these no money down programs. You know, the lenders lied in the first trial, but without documents, you can't cross-examine them. But at the second trial, when these Argent Mortgage and Long Beach and New Century, when they stood up and said, oh, we don't, we don't allow this, Dawn had given me some of the documents. So I was able to say, wait a minute, 
Let's look and, at page 86 of your underwriting guidelines. Here it says you can get up to $50,000 cash back. You just said you don't do it. And then they started talk, saying, well, we don't want, do it that often. But that's different than saying we don't allow it. So the oh, banks- I want to ask you a question about Dawn. Buyers. Uh, listen, I, I want to ask you a question about Dawn because you, you, you've been mentioning her. Uh, right. And for some of the listeners, Dawn was uh, one of the assistants at that time. And 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 and, wh- and when did this happen? What 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 would you say that what was the the time frame? What year did this happen? Around two thousand seven. Yeah, yeah. Our our company was raided at the end of 08. Okay. Um, I was indicted shortly thereafter in both state and federal court. Same charges. Mm-hmm. At some point, the government realized that I did not own these companies and I did not get money from mortgages. And instead mm-hmm. of admitting that they were wrong and just leaving us alone, they decided to start taking crazy actions to hide evidence. And one of the things they did was they had Dawn pretend that she was a paralegal working with defense attorneys. And so she was actually wearing a wire and recording me when we were talking about our trial strategy. She said Mm. that she was a paralegal with defense lawyers. This is illegal. Just like I can't bug the U.S. attorney's office. Well, let me bug their conference room and hear what they're talking about. Okay, I can't do that. If I did that, they would have indicted me for obstruction of justice. But they intruded into my right to prepare for trial. People have a constitutional right to maintain their innocence and prepare for trial. But but Mark Bennett and Dan Caceres don't play fair. And so they used Dawn to wear a wire in this disastrous undercover operation. She did not want to do it. She was pressured to do it, then felt bad and later Mm. came forward with evidence. And she said, Tony, this evidence does not only exonerate you. These cases are all BS and we need to get you exonerated. And then we need to work together to get all these cases thrown out. And I promised her I would do that. And she was added to my witness list and prepared to testify at the second trial. And she was, but she did not appear and was found dead in her apartment, 26 years old. She's found dead in her apartment as she's supposed to testify about Mark Bennett and Dan Caceres' misconduct. Was there any evidence of, was there any evidence of foul play in her death? There's been no investigation whatsoever. There's a number of very uh, suspicious events that happened in in sequence that we are investigating. I have a private investigator named Bob Frederick. Bob's a former FBI agent. And the family, Dawn's family, uh, Ed and Karen Pasella, are helping us. Uh, And so this is a, a great honor to have their help in uh, sort of trying to honor uh, Dawn's wish. But this is outrageous that, the, that Caceres threatened to prosecute her if she appeared in court as a witness. She was, uh, the FBI went to her apartment, told her to leave town. There is a, a, a lot of examples of government flat out witness intimidation, witness tampering, obstruction of justice. In America, you're supposed to be able to go to court and testify. And she was subpoenaed and on my defense witness list. So this is a crime to threaten and intimidate somebody who wants to come to court. And by the way, she only knew me because they inserted her into my case. Wow. So now uh, we understand what their theory was, which um, their alleged theory was, which convicted over 1,100 people to to your knowledge, correct? And that that theory, uh, according to your appeal that you won, uh, was debunked by the evidence that was presented by Dawn to you prior to her death? Correct. She gave me the proof. She said, forget reasonable doubt, Tony. We can use these documents to prove your innocence. She said, right. forget what some government witness says, you know, five years later about what they remembered at some meeting at some mortgage office. 
We have documents that were contemporaneous when these loans were submitted that say people were allowed to buy houses, no money down, cash back. And that just destroyed the government's case. There is no case if there's no fraud. It truly became like saying we tricked Starbucks into selling coffee. And so the jurors really thought the whole case was nonsense in the second trial because we were able to show, hey, there was nothing wrong here. We wrote the paperwork. We submitted it this way. The bank could have said no. Without Dawn, I would have lost. I wouldn't be on your show. I'd be in a jail cell right now. I would have lost both trials and I would have had no chance. But I was released from jail after the FBI admitted lying about evidence. The Justice Department admitted lying about evidence. And in the last couple of years, we've gotten really the floodgates have opened with unbelievable new evidence to show this is not a mistake. This is not some temporary lapse in judgment by prosecutors. This is a criminal conspiracy to imprison innocent American citizens on bogus charges using fabricated evidence. And Mark Bennett was fired. So something is going on inside the U.S. Attorney's Office. By the way, the government, my first conviction wasn't vacated, but they recently terminated my sentence a year early. And the prisons aren't exactly known for kindness and empathy. So there's definitely something going on right now, but we still- are Wait, 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 wait. The, the, the federal government? Correct. They did what now? They took my ankle bracelet off and terminated my sentence a year early in the interest of justice. In the interest of justice? Yes. Uh, So so in other words, they, um, in the interest of justice, what do you get from that? Because has that ever, what do you get from what they're saying? What does that mean? I don't know what it means because that means this the sentence was just uh, two weeks ago, but it's not just now. I don't know what that means. It's some kind of government talk, um, but they 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 haven't really explained why. And we are trying to get records to find out how who decided to do this and why. I don't so know. You, so you're so so the sentencing judge, the federal sentencing judge, did uh, was not aware of you coming off the ankle bracelet. She had, there is they, nothing we, on Pacer that would indicate. There's no court order. There's nothing on, on the court docket that would indicate that there was a court ruling, but all of a sudden the ankle bracelet was removed. And the same thing with all of a sudden I was released from jail, called to the office, you got to go. And this is right after the FBI admitted lying about evidence. So my case is right now being handled out of Washington by the Justice Department um, because of some of the legal proceedings that are going on. It is not being handled out of Cleveland. So that's probably one of the reasons why there are some people taking a hard look at what's going on and saying this is this is bad. We've got a romantic relationship between the government witness Clover and, and prosecutor Caceres. We've got government admissions that this Clover lady committed perjury in my case and other cases. Wait a minute, she lied? Wait, 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 hold on, wait, wait, wait. The Vassella. lady lied. The lady lied? Whoever, whoever, whoever Clover is, this is a female, right? This is a government witness who at the first trial said that I told her to lie when she was getting her loans at the mortgage company I don't own. Um, but I was there supposedly, and Ted told her to lie. Then she wanted to recant. Mark Bennett would not let her go back on the stand and recant. The Mark Bennett then writes later that she committed perjury, but it was in the interest of justice, this is what he said, to allow the perjury to stand because it could, quote, jeopardize the outcome of the case if they withdrew her testimony. This is the best example of federal prosecutors knowingly using perjured testimony to put innocent people in jail. And they put it in writing. Again, nothing I can say is more powerful than Mark Bennett. He said this witness lied. They had an obligation to withdraw false testimony. And by the way, this task force used Clover, according to Dan Caceres' letter at her sentencing, 
over and over and over again to secure indictments. So there's a lot of people that may not realize that Catherine Clover is involved in their case, but she testified repeatedly in grand jury proceedings. So this lady who was having a affair with Dan Caceres, who was hired inside the prosecutor's office as a paralegal, we got 600 pages of emails, is also testifying as a, quote, fact witness, just going into these different courtrooms, getting people indicted and imprisoned, even though the government knew she was testifying falsely. Right. So now, with that said, fast forwarding to right now, what's the update? You, you, you were recently in a federal hearing. Can you, can you talk about that a little bit or no? Yes, of course. What's happened is the amount of criminal activity that's gone on in this case is overwhelming. You know, I'm an indigent person. I've been in jail for a decade. I, I work at Goodwill. I make $11 an hour, okay? I have a private investigator. I just sent the guy 150 bucks. I mean, we are getting so many calls and so many documents of people that know about Caceres' romantic relationship with the witness, which is a crime. We've gotten alarming new details about the death of Dawn Pacella. We've gotten all kinds of documents and information from a myriad of people that have found our website or heard about us through the legal community. And I'm not the appropriate person to investigate criminal activity run out of the U.S. Attorney's Office here. So I asked a federal judge in Columbus, and I put about 2,000 pages of the misconduct in my case on his docket. I made this gentleman uh, have to sift through it all, but, but he gave me 20 minutes to speak in court to argue why my legal work has merit, that my legal work should be allowed to continue because the prosecutors don't like my court filings, and that the court should independently, because courts have an independent interest in the fair administration of justice. A fair judge doesn't want to know that witnesses are lying and the government knows it, right? A fair judge, a fair person doesn't want that. They want guilty people convicted, innocent people exonerated, and they want court to be fair. And so I believe that we have a very good chance in Columbus, in this hearing we had last week, um, to either get a referral for a criminal prosecution or a criminal investigation of Mark Bennett and Dan Caceres, or at a minimum, that we can continue to conduct discovery and get additional information about blatant misconduct by the U.S. attorney. And it is amazing how long this has gone on, and none of these uh, prosecutors or bureaucrats in the government are willing to do the right thing. I mean, they've continued to defend the indefensible, and they have continued to enable this type of criminal activity by Bennett and Caceres. It is wrong, and it should not happen in this country to anybody, and it has to stop now. And it is amazing that the government, you know, these prosecutors, they, all, they say they're reformers, like in the Cuyahoga County prosecutor, Mr. O'Malley, he ran as a reformer. He's going to bring change. Okay, well, here's a tip. You know, here's a guy that you employed for 10 years who's having oh. a sexual relationship with a witness who they know committed perjury. How about withdrawing her false testimony in all of these cases and vacating these convictions? Even if they don't go after Caceres, at a minimum, they should vacate felony convictions that have destroyed lives and destroyed families and imprisoned innocent people for no reason whatsoever, other than these prosecutors like to go on television. This is crazy. Yeah, man, you know, it's, 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 this, is, uh, this is very deep, man, because... Like you say, so many people's lives were affected because of these 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 uh, these convictions. And um, first of all, I salute you because um, you're fighting, man, and and you have a, a, a interesting interesting story. 
of, of, of making sure that, hey, that justice is served the correct way. We, you know, um, and just listening to this man and, and all the different, you know, layers, I, I want to say layers, because this thing has escalated from one level to another level. It seems like now that you might be in a, in a, in a, in a, in a good position right now to where you can get some of those results that you're looking for. Well, one thing that's helpful is a, a, a judge does not have to take our word for it. So it's not me saying there's a romantic relationship between Caceres and Clover. We have their emails back and forth. I'm not going to repeat what's on there, but it's pretty right. bad. Okay. So you, you got, go to our so website. Minute, you got emails, you got emails between the, the, the prosecutor and a former government government witness. I got 600 pages of them and they talk about massages and they're talking and there's racist comments on there, by the way. Um, they're talking about how she lied at my first trial, but keep it out of the second trial. So Caceres is actually coaching her how to commit perjury. So uh, in other a, words, let me ask you a question. Wait, wait, wait. You said there's racial comments. Yes. From, uh, from, from the from the government witness or from, from the, Caceres, from Caceres. Uh, one of really? my defense. Yes. One of my government witnesses who worked for me for, for a long time is Jewish and they were making fun of her and they said, ha ha, maybe she's an Orthodox Jew. And then they're talking about how to dress up and conduct surveillance. And Dan Caceres says that he's going to dress up as an African and Catherine Clover is going to dress up as a Jew. I mean, this is, this is all in writing. I mean, the stuff that this guy put in writing is sickening. It is disgusting. And it's also illegal. It is illegal for a prosecutor to have a government witness. They had her conducting surveillance of my house. They're sending this lady out to go out and find other witnesses. She's supposed to be a fact witness. She's supposed to come into court and tell what she knows, tell the jury what she knows from her personal knowledge. She's the prosecutor's girlfriend and paralegal. And the rubbish that they're talking about, by the way, they're also talking about altering documents inside the prosecutor's office, destroying records inside the prosecutor's office. This is in the emails? In the emails, in writing. So there's nothing better. This is, in fact, this is what I did last week when I was in court in Columbus. Okay. I tried my best just to quote these emails that the that Dan Caceres was sent was sending back and forth, and I tried to quote the words of Mark Bennett that the witness committed perjury. So I tried not to make Tony says this and Tony says that, and I think this. I tried to keep it just to the factual record we have. So the answer is we could win now because we have a dynamite factual record. No judge has to speculate or draw an inference or, or guess, well, maybe there is something. We have the proof. Just like Dawn helped me win the trial with documents, my investigator, Bob Frederick, and, and other people have helped me, Kelly Patrick and others, have helped me assemble a dynamite factual record. And, you know, like, like Caceres' wife is on Facebook. She complaining. She threw him out of the house because he was having an affair with Catherine Clover. So, I mean, this is like an open secret. He took this lady to Cleveland Indians baseball games. He took her to bars. He was seen making out with her at bars. I got sworn statements of people. So this is incredibly reckless behavior by the prosecutor, Caceres, who took no, no uh, steps to conceal what he was doing because he feels he's invincible. He can do whatever he wants. And then here's Mark Bennett covering all of this up. Mark Bennett's copied on quite a lot of these Clover emails. So this is a mess. That the, that the government has created and we're going to fix it. The citizens are banding together and we're, we're presenting this hard evidence in court telling a judge, this is not something you have to speculate on. Here it is right here in black and white. And the, the documents that you have right, uh, with, the, with, the, with the racist comments and all of that, 
is that available on your website or is it, you know yes. the transcripts? Okay, so all the emails and everything that you have is available on your website. Yes, one thing I learned from Dawn was she we used to call her Document Dawn. She was all about the documents, and she said if you have the opportunity to have a document, don't ask people to take your word for it. And so on the freetonyviola.com website, there's something called the evidence locker. And there's lists of all of these different key documents because you don't have to take my word for it. You can decide for yourself. And I just thought that as it, when I was in jail doing legal work, I thought nobody would believe me. So I better have the supporting documents so that a that fair judge with, or, Right, a journalist could say, yeah. right, okay, oh, I see what you're saying. So there's nothing. So if me saying Caceres is a racist, that's not as powerful as his own emails with this rubbish that he put in writing over his own signature. This is a government official. You guys pay. We all pay this guy. When we get a check and that's deduction, we're paying for this type of cruelty and injustice. These are these are public officials that are being paid by the taxpayers to commit this kind uh, of misconduct. Hey, hey, Tony, let me ask you a question. Now, in is, is a lot of these cases, there's always restitution, yeah. right? Now, you had mentioned previously that there was like like close to $20 million collected in restitution. Right. That okay, is let's over talk 20 about million. It. It's over 20 million. Uh, you had also said you had a copy of the ledger from that. Correct. This is so a talk true, about that. This is a true prosecution for profit scheme. Okay. The banks in these cases told the government that they did not lose any money that they either sold the loan off or some of the, in some cases, the houses never went into foreclosure. I want to ask you a question real quick. Wait, wait, wait. Okay. Now look at what you just said. And I want to touch on it because that's, that's kind of important. You just said that the lenders, the banks that were involved, they opened, they, they stated, who did they state that to? Well, in my case, in my okay. pre-sentence investigation, the federal government reached out to the lenders and said, hey, we're trying to ascertain loss amount. Argent Mortgage told the federal probation office they did not lose any money. Some of the houses never went into foreclosure, some of the houses were sold, and some of the loans themselves were sold. So they said they didn't lose money. But Judge Donald Nugent still ordered me to pay over a million dollars to Argent in restitution. Now, restitution is supposed to make a victim whole. So, Jeff, if I break into your place tonight and steal your wallet and there's a thousand bucks in there, okay, I owe you a thousand dollars. You lost money. I stole it. I, you should are entitled to get that back. But what's happened is you either have banks that did not ask for restitution or you have other instances where the banks don't care about restitution from indigent prisoners. You know, I was ordered to pay $25 a month when I was in jail to these, to these lenders. Anyway, what's happened is the Cuyahoga County Prosecutor's Office has snagged this money, over $20 million, as well as federal grant money to fund and staff the task force to pay all these police departments to interview all these people. And they've never sent the money to the banks that are listed on these court orders. What are they doing with the money? They're buying airline tickets. They're paying for hotel rooms. They bought Tim McGinty when he was the prosecutor, a laptop computer, okay? They are not crediting these restitution payments that they're receiving from my co-defendants to my balance, which they're supposed to. This is a true crime, a, a money laundering scheme run out of the prosecutor's office. They said that we have to go to jail. We have to be indicted because banks lost money. We caused these companies to lose money. And by the way, our jail sentences were based on loss amounts. So if I steal a million dollars, 
I'm going to go to right. jail a lot longer than if I steal $50, right? So the fact is the government lied about these loss amounts to inflate these prison sentences and that they're not even sending the money to the banks. I have letters. I wrote these sort of innocuous letters to the banks when I was in jail. Hey, I'm planning for my release. Can you just tell me how much I owe you? And they all wrote back and said, you don't owe anything. We don't know what you're talking about. So you have the U.S. attorney here and the Cuyahoga County what? prosecutor what? Wait, oh, wait, collecting money. What? Yeah. So, you did what, Tony? You wrote the banks? I wrote these friendly letters and I said, hi, my name is Tony Viola. And I'm <laughs> just wrapping up my jail right. sentence. And I, I just want, you know, attached is a court order that I'm supposed to pay you some money. Can you, I'm just planning for my future. Can you let me know how much I still owe and, you know, how I can resolve this? I just, I didn't accuse anybody of anything. I just wrote this sort of friendly, that's what I did all day in jail for, for a decade. And they wrote back and they said, dear Mr. Viola, we don't know what you're talking about. You don't owe us any money. We don't have any record of you owing us any money. Oh, my God. Don't send any money. Don't send any money to us. So this is complete rubbish that the government is abusing its power to treat American citizens as as these terrible criminals extracting money. I'm in jail and they're making me pay twenty five dollars if I don't if I don't pay the twenty five dollars. You don't have access to the commissary. You can't call your loved ones on the phone. You, you can't right. email anybody. You can't go buy a bag of coffee. So this is, a, this is a true prosecution for profit scheme. Again, don't take my word for it. The ledger, it's on my website. People can read it themselves. So they are collecting money. Hey, drop and, drop, and, drop the, the website, uh, uh, the link for the, uh, the, the website real quick. Because I, I got a couple more questions and then you know, I'll, I'll bring the interview to a close, but just r- okay. real quick for people so they can go. Sure, it's, it's free, TonyViola.com. So it's free, F-R-E-E, then my name, D-O-N-Y-V-I-O-L-A.com. There's an evidence locker with all the evidence. You can sign up for the email alerts. We don't send too many out. There's a blog on there. And by the way, if anyone had a similar case and any of our documents or information is helpful, it's all available. We want to help you. My private investigator will take inquiries. We want to share the information we have. Our goal, I'm not, this is not a selfish crusade where, oh, gee, Tony got hosed and I want my case thrown out. We want them all thrown out. We want to create a way to get an innocence project or a large law firm, not from Cleveland, who not who's buddy with buddies with all these prosecutors to come here and review cases and determine which cases have merit and should be, we should petition to have the convictions vacated. That's what we're building towards. Let me ask you a question. Do you, uh, there's several, I need to ask real quick um, for the sake of time. Um, I want to go back real quick to your case, your your appeal. How, how long did it take? How many times did you apply for your appeal? Oh, I've litigated this case for a decade. I mean, records that should have been the, produced before trial still haven't been right. produced. I probably well, what have I mean, What I mean, the, 30, appeal, the, the trial that you went to, that the trial that you had in the state. How many times did you have to apply for appeal be, in order to be heard to to because you had because you had to go to trial right in the state in order to win that case right? Yes, I went. I asked for a trial, and I didn't think the government would put me on trial because they just convicted me for thirteen years. But the trial was in twenty twelve. It took almost ten years of litigation to, until the government find the federal government admitted that they had lied about evidence, and that's when I was released from jail. It took ten years. Shouldn't take ten right. years. There's but, still records that we don't have that should have been produced before trial, including the tapes that Dawn made. But you were, but you also had an appeal in the state, right? Where you would try, where, where there was a jury involved? Where they right, found there was two jury trials. 
I was convicted in federal court by a federal jury. And then Mm -hmm. I was acquitted on the exact same charges a couple months later in state court because of the new evidence that Dawn gave me that was not produced before the federal trial. Right. Okay. So, so, so in other words, the, the, you, you won in the state and you still wound up doing time. Right. I, I lost in feds first, then I won in the state. And for many years, the feds said, well, it doesn't matter what happened in state court. We gave you all the evidence we were supposed to give you. And this task force, there was no federal evidence there. So it wasn't until, and they said, Dawn's a liar. She didn't have access to any of it. So it wasn't until we started getting proof that the FBI relocated all the evidence to the task force, that all the gut, Mark Bennett and all these people had lied for years to keep me in jail. So all of a sudden we're getting FBI documents that they shifted all the evidence to the task force. So the government's claim, oh, we don't have to search there for records was turned out to be false. And then a a court finally in Philadelphia, an appeals court assigned lawyers to help me. And that's really what unraveled the case from there. Oh, wow, man. That's just, that's just pretty deep, man. This is, some heavy stuff here, Tony. This is very. Could you imagine being in jail for a decade after you proved your innocence? I was the only prisoner in America that established innocence at a second trial and still sat in jail for a decade with the proof of my innocence in my jail locker. And Don Nugent, the judge here, would not give me a hearing to present the proof of my innocence or schedule a uh, investigation into Don Pacella's death. Wow, man. Let me ask you a question, man. Um, what? has been the biggest loss for you um, as we wrap up um, during this during this time and during this challenging decade? What has been the biggest loss for you? Well, the biggest loss is what the biggest loss is what happened to Don Pacella. So my when I was in jail, my friends would say, Tony, we miss you. We want to see you, but we'll, we will see you one day. And Dawn's Ooh. folks will never sit down with her for dinner or for Christmas or for Mother's Day. So the biggest tragedy and the biggest victim is Dawn and her parents, Ed and Karen. Um, so whatever happened to me, it is nothing compared to what they've gone through. Dawn was brilliant and beautiful and very wonderful person. And for her to be dead over this is just unacceptable. And there has to, while we can't have justice for Dawn because she's dead, we can have accountability. And we could put Mark Bennett and Dan Caceres where they belong, which is in jail. So that's what we're trying to do. But, I, you know, I have faith in God. I'm Catholic. It, my faith pulled me through. I'm grateful. I'm in good health. I, I, I'll be fine. We need to stop this from happening to other people in this country. Yeah, man, we definitely want to uh, make sure we get the word out and make sure that people understand that we want a justice system that works for the community. But it, it but it's balanced. There's checks and balances in it. And again, I just want to make a statement to everyone um, that that uh, this this interview is based off Tony's uh, his actual story, his uh, the information that he's gathered relates to related to his uh, his particular case. Um, if you want to follow him, go to free www.freetonyviola.com. Um, also, Tony, I believe there's like a documentary or some other stuff like on um, some other um, avenues to kind of connect with you as, as, as it relates to YouTube and social media platforms. Did you want right. to share there's that? A pe- there's a petition on change.org to hold these prosecutors criminally responsible for what they did. There's nearly 5,000 signatures. We really 5,000 signatures. Uh, almost 5,000. It's not, And there's a link on our website. Uh, and there's also Brian Douglas, local journalist, Brian Douglas, BZ. He's done a great job covering this case, conducting a lot of interviews, gathering quite a lot of documents. And he made a mini 
uh, press conference and uh, uploaded a lot of interviews too. So uh, you can go to his website, which is a Substack, BZ Douglas, uh, or just Google it, or it's linked on my website. So we are getting journalists to take a look now. Townhall.com featured this. A lot of national media are taking a look at this and saying, wow, this is some serious misconduct. And a lot of people feel the fact that it hasn't been corrected is just as scary as all the Mark Bennett and Dan Caceres and Michael Jackson misconduct. It's just as scary that this has gone on so long with nobody in authority ever saying, wait a minute, this is not right in our country. We're going to correct injustices. It just shows you that our justice system is rotten from top to bottom to allow this to go on. Well, Tony, man, I I appreciate you stopping by again, and we definitely want to invite you back again on on any more updates that you may have as it relates to your case. And uh, we thank you for sharing your story on our platform. Again, this has been Tony Viola. Make sure you guys go follow him right now. Um, Connect with him on freetonyviola.com. You can also follow him on all social media platforms, uh, uh, Tony Viola, and uh, we appreciate you, my man. Hey, listen, we'll be right back with more of the Jeff Brown Show. Streaming on Peacock. It's the girls' trip of a lifetime. Look at this water. We're going to give them something to talk about. Seven iconic housewives from four different cities. Oh, my God. Vacation at Turks and Caicos. It's a party now. And there's no party like a housewives party. I don't give a f- You're not a girl's girl. Why would you say that? Find out what happens when the forecast brings sunshine and a whole lot of shade. You are so self-absorbed. It's crazy. The Real Housewives Ultimate Girls Trip. All episodes streaming now. Only on Peacock. Hey, Ray Maliazzi here. I'd like to carry more parts at my shop, but I just don't have the room. Every time I go in the back to get wiper blades, I trip over a dusty crate of Honda air filters, then bang my head on some GTO radiator hoses. eBay Motors never has that problem. They stock all the right parts at the right prices. 122 million of them, with everything from new headlights to vintage gear shifters. I can't imagine being able to stock 122 million parts. I mean, where would I get all those shelves? eBay Motors. Let's ride. This is the Jeff Brown Show. And we're back, we're back. Got my big sister, Miss Elena Cooper to the building. I call her the fashion guru. She the hair guru. She doing her thing. And she coming to Cleveland All-Star Weekend. About to make some major noise. And she's here to talk to us all about it. What's up, sis? Talk to me. Hey there, Jeff. How are you? Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm good. You know, just working, doing what I do. Before we get into this, this phenomenal fashion show and this phenomenal event um, that you're getting ready to uh, host uh, in another week or so, I want to let the people know, you know, I'm not going to get into all your business, but you have a phenomenal story. And I want to celebrate you on my platform because you have overcome so much you 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 have raised beautiful daughters that are successful and you have stood the test of time to do what you do and i i just celebrate you in this moment thank you so much thank you it has been a lot but i'm grateful to be here um it's so funny um you know when it's the new year Everyone always asks, what's the word? What's the word for the new year? What is God saying in the new year and all of that? And so um, I tend not to listen to those anymore. And I seek God for um, what he has for my family. And this year, 2022, he said to me, it's going to all make sense. And so 
And it's literally starting to all make sense. And so I'm excited. <laughs> I like that. Well, yeah. Lord, let it make sense for me too. <laughs> you know he's not a respected person. So listen. Yeah, I would, let it make sense for me too. <laughs> yeah, so tell me. So, so 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 you so you've been in the hair, you've been in the hair uh industry and fashion industry for how long now? Oh my God. So I started legally. Um, I was a hairstylist with license for 37 years. Well, 38 years now. Um, I'm retired, but I started off in the salons in Cleveland at 14 years old um, wow. as a shampoo assistant for Mirror Mirror Floyd Swoops <laughs> back in Ooh, the day. That's long. Oh my god! I know, right? And I did my first. I did a post on Facebook. I did my first fashion show in 1987 at Randall Park Mall. <laughs> Randall Park Mall. I know, oh my God. right? Going back. <laughs> wow, wow, that's amazing. And 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 those and those experiences, those skills that has been a part of the process, have led you to what's getting ready to happen in another week or so. Let's talk about that. I mean, congratulations yeah. on that. Thank you. Uh, Thank you. Uh, uh, and, and now the fashion show is entitled "The House of Glow." And that's for Miss Gloria James. Dope, dope. And if anybody don't know who Miss Gloria James is, and you should know, that is uh, the iconic NBA superstar, LeBron James' mom, uh, mom and her, his mother. And she has definitely, uh, as you all know, been a, a major, major influence in his life and, and, and was uh, a lot of the reason why he's successful today. And the House of Glow, uh, this fashion show, which my big sister uh, yes. is directing. She's all through it. All, she's <laughs> just doing her thing, producing. Yeah. You're just doing it all. Uh, yeah. You just, you know, that, that's that's a great connection. Um, did you ever think you was going to be doing something like this on this level? I mean, you got NBA involved, celebrity. I mean, yeah. like, how does this make you feel? Um, that God is a keeper of his word. Um, did I ever think that this, like, I knew he was gonna do something because he promised me that yeah. my, I went through was not gonna be in vain and that he was gonna restore me publicly. He said it, right? And on May 16th, 2005. So 16 and a half long years, you know, he's put my kids in the space on platforms where he's, they have done incredibly well, as you said. Um, and so, you know, that time when you're going through like, Lord, well, what about me? When are you, I'm tired of this struggle. I don't understand, you know, why I have to go through so much, you know, but I did it. I, you know, um, I believe what Pastor McCurry told me because he could trust you with the pain. Mm. And I didn't understand that um, until now. And I see the lives that I'm touching out, not in the church, not behind the pulpit, none of that, but just day to day. He has called me to the marketplace. I thank God that what I went through did not turn me away from him, the church a little bit, but not him. And so, and I'm glad of that because it's put me in a space where I probably mm -hmm. reach more people now than I ever would have in the church. So I'm grateful that my relationship with him is stronger than ever. And that I am a testament that what he speaks, he will perform. So that's amazing. Yeah. Um, and, and God is definitely faithful. And, you know, it's always about the process. And I think a lot of times people forget that in order 
to see manifestation, there has to be a process. You know, people want the results, the manifestation, but they don't ever want to go through the process. And it's just kind of interesting. You know, uh, this is what life is all about. And um, and I'm just glad to see uh, uh, the beautiful butterfly that you have become um, uh, out of out of this this metaphor. This uh, I call it what metamorphosis of of what you've become out of this cocoon that the cocoon that you were in and now look at you. So let's talk about the event. When is yeah. the event? What time is the event? What's the tickets? Where we? What's up? What what's going on? You know what I'm saying? I'm gonna I be in the VIP. It's so I'm funny. I love I'm gonna be I'm gonna be in the VIP. I'm gonna be in the VIP. There you go. And so I'm super excited about it. Um, the House of Glow will be on Friday, February mm-hmm. 18th at 6:30. The doors open for the show. However, the doors open at 2:30 for our activations on our marketplace, where you will be able to come in and look at the different vendors that we'll have there. Um, and then the show doors open up at 6.30 and the show starts promptly at 7. Um, I tell everyone, it's not just a fashion show, it's a production. I think that you guys are going to be um, pleasant, pleasantly surprised. We want to show that Cleveland has so much to offer. And not just that. One of the reasons I, I do want to bring up is the reason why Miss James wanted to do this is that her being LeBron's mom gets to go to all the different all-star weekends. And I've been able to uh, attend as well. I actually worked it when it was in 1996, I think, 1997, I worked it. And what we found and what we talked about is that the NBA, NFL, whatever, come to the cities, they shut the cities down, right? The people of the city can't go to any of their restaurants. They can't participate. Either the tickets are too high or their sponsors have bought them out. So they're always around the NBA, but not actually in the actual experience with the celebrities. And so Ms. James wanted to do an event for the community where they are actually the VIP. It's not about her, it's not about her son. The red carpet will be rolled out for the community. Every penny that is raised from the House of Glow will be given back to the community. And we're so excited that Ms. James is supporting HBCUs. So that night, um, the Central State University banned the only Black HBCU, I'm sorry, the only HBC, public HBCU in Northeast Ohio will be opening up and part of the proceeds will be going back to Central State University. We know our Dope. universities need our help. And I hope that we pray that people seeing her, you know, be, you know, using her platform to give back to that, that they will want to join as well. We're also giving back that evening to um, the village, which is the LeBron James Family Foundation, the Single Mothers Initiative, where the apartment where the moms and their kids that he built out for them, they live, money will be going to that. And then she also wanted to do something for Cleveland. She wanted to find a nonprofit minority-owned business, and she chose hashtag foster care, Miss um, Kevin e. Gilmore. So we're really excited about it. Um, we're bringing Jay Bolin in. He's going to do all the fashions. It's going to be incredible. On Sunday, we're doing a single mother's brunch where we're going to nice. celebrate single moms with Miss James. Um, Dope. Yeah, we work with several nonprofit organizations in Akron and Cleveland who handpicked several moms and they're going to come and be celebrated. We are super excited about that. Um, as you know, Miss James was a teenage single mom and she just want to let them know that she see them and that she that's, hear them. Yeah. That's amazing. That's amazing. Yeah. And guess what? I'm going to be in the building. 
Yes, oh you are. So I'm be in the building. Listen, we listen, need the just... energy, right? <laughs> we need the energy. I'm coming. I'm gonna be in the building. I'm telling the people now. Everybody that follow <laughs> me, make sure y'all come to the act. Hey, come to to the house of glow. So that's where we gonna be at. Jeff yes, Brown show gonna be the Friday yeah. night, and uh, I'm gonna be I'm gonna be on, I'm going to the VIP section. I'm just telling y'all there you go. So listen, Man, I'm gonna Jeff, be on, I'm gonna the be VIP looking. this time is on the stage, so you will be on the stage with the whole production. Oh, that's gonna be sweet. Cause guess what? Yeah. I'm always on stage anyway. So they gonna be. <laughs> hey, listen, listen. I just listen. I just wanna, you know. I just want you know. I'm have my thing going, you know. And now, the the fashion show. Now, is there a special attire? Is there a special color? No, there's people- not. We want you to come comfortable. We want you to come how you want to come, you know? And one of the things I want to talk about, it's going to come out, I'm going to spoil it. I'm going to be the first person I tell publicly before we hit the TV, um, before everything goes out. But okay. um, if you are Greek, come in your stuff. We are, it's going to be some divine nine, some strolling going on with the bands and we want you Ooh. to represent. As a matter of fact, our host, um, let me say this too. Miss James is always wanting to put people on and using her platform to give people a chance that probably would have never had the opportunity. And so at this show, you're going to see a lot of newbies. You're going to see a lot of people who are entering into their next, right? So um, our host is uh, Miss Jada Stevens. Um, She's originally from Cleveland, Ohio. She went to Beachwood High School and then she went to Florida A&M and she left and moved to Vegas, right? To start Mm -hmm. her she wanted to be a radio announcer, a host. She's an AKA. Um, and Miss James was like, let's use her. I want to bring her back home and we want to put her on this platform, a stage. So, you know, and I'm super excited. So it's a lot of that's going to be happening. We have young designers that you probably never heard of, but right Dope. in Cleveland, Ohio. And so she's giving them their first, like, you know, they've been working, don't get me wrong, but for this level of platform. Oh, this, oh, this is a huge stage. This yeah. is, this is, you talking about, not just local or national. You're talking about this is a world stage that people are going to be. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, we've been dope. picked up on all kind of magazines. I mean, when I tell you my phones and emails, um, we was picked up in WWD in New York. Um, they nice. were calling looking for us. Um, I, I could, the list could just go on and on. Um, I'm not going to share one because it's a big surprise. But I mean, some major people are coming. And we're just really, really grateful. I want to do a shout out to our sponsors, Nike and Chase Bank, um, Massage Envy, Procter & Gamble. Um, we've had some really great um, people that really wanted to pour back into the community. So we're really excited about it. That's great. Now, how can people connect with you and follow you? Because, you know, all good things must come to an end. I know you got a busy, busy day, busy, busy schedule. I know you're trying to get them phone calls, those emails out. How can people connect with you and how can people get tickets to this event? Absolutely. Let's start with the tickets. So um, State Theater is called the Key Bank State Theater, or you can go to the Playhouse Square. I would suggest that you will call and get your tickets. I did a post this morning. We understand that there's been some difficulties ordering from your phone. And so we don't want anything blocking you to get in your way. So definitely call, I believe it's 216-241-6000. That's 216-241-6000 and get your tickets. You can follow us on on IG, the All-Star Experience, Gloria James. Uh, myself is I am underscore Elena. And then my company um, that's producing the events is um, Vision Strategy Group. And website is 
um, www.bznsg.com. There you have it. Listen, y'all, we are on with my big sister. Carpenter. Listen, we love you. Thank you so much. Make sure you guys, again, get your tickets because the House of Glow going to be on fire. And you know your boy going to be up in there in the VIP sitting on the stage <laughs> looking at everything, everybody making some good network connections. And this is what I love about these events. You can network with people, connect with people, you know, and, and meet people that you've never met before and, and build some new and fresh relationships. So it's going to be a dope event. I'm excited for the city of Cleveland. And I'm happy that we can kick off the All-Star Weekend at the House of Glow. Excellent. Thank you Absolutely. so much. Absolutely. Hey, y'all, we'll be right back with more of the Jeff Brown Show. Go subscribe right now. And uh, I'll see you in a minute. I got to go pay some bills. Thank you, Elena. Thank you. I'm iHeart's Angie Ward. Your HVAC system is probably one of the biggest investments in your home. Whether you're looking to upgrade your older, inefficient system or your system just quit on you, SD Services is happy to help you find the best heating service based on your home size and design, energy goals and budget. They even offer flexible financing and they're licensed, bonded and insured. Estes takes care of my HVAC system. They'll take great care of you too. Request your free consultation now at estesair.com. That's E-S-T-E-S air.com. As a Shane Company jewelry consultant, I get to work with couples looking for their dream engagement ring. Many feel overwhelmed. They just don't know where to start. And that's what I love about my job. I get to make this important experience fun and easy. We don't work on commission, so there's no pressure. When you visit, first, I'll want to know what are your ideas for your dream ring? What fits your lifestyle, your personality, your budget? Then we'll go from there. We'll look at ring settings and I'll show you options for the center stone. For example, if you choose a classic solitaire ring setting, I can show you how it'll look with different center stones, like a pear-shaped diamond or an oval pink sapphire. We have all shapes, colors, and sizes. If you're going for a big look with lots of sparkle, I can show you our halo ring settings. Or if you want a ring that's ready to go, we can look at our perfectly preset styles. Visit your friends, we're in this together. Now you have a friend in the jewelry business, Shane Company and ShaneCo.com. This is the Jeff Brown Show. And we're back and we're back. Make sure you guys go subscribe right now to the Jeff Brown Show on iHeartRadio, Apple Podcasts, or Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts on your favorite listening device. Listen, today was a fire, fire hot show. I want to thank all of our guests today. I want to thank uh, Tony Viola for uh, coming back to share his story. Also want to thank our uh, our, our bonus interviewer, uh, interviewee, I should say, uh, uh, Miss Elena Carpenter, who was the producer of uh, the hottest fashion show that will be taking place All-Star Weekend, uh, Friday, uh, February 18th, uh, the House of Glow, uh, which is sponsored by uh, Miss Gloria James, Mama James, uh, who is the mother of superstar, NBA superstar, LeBron James. Man, so much going on, so much to unpack. But listen, I say this to you before we leave uh, for, uh, you know, until next time. Listen, make sure you guys uh, write your vision down, write your goals down, do whatever it is that your heart desires to do. Practice, uh, put the time in, uh, work on it. Do whatever it is that you got to do in order to get to the next level in your life. And guess what? As you put the time in, guess what happens? Uh, You watch your dreams become your 
reality. So, uh, listen, I'm excited. I'm happy for you. Looking forward to uh, connecting with you. And um, make sure you, again, go subscribe. And until next time, God loves you and I love you. And there's nothing in the world you can do about it. Hey, this has been another exciting episode of the Jeff Brown Show. Radio Network. First class broadcasting worldwide. SD Services is hiring master journeymen and apprentice plumbers. We're seeking hardworking, licensed, and energetic plumbers to join our team. Secure a long-term position with an established company that's been in business for more than 70 years. SD Services focuses on work-life balance, offering its employees flexible work hours. SD Services offers 401k savings plans with company match, paid time off, medical, dental, and vision insurance, and much, much more. To apply, visit SDsAir.com. That's ES. At Kroger, we believe fresh means holding our produce to a higher standard. That's why we do up to a 27-point inspection on our produce. Like for citrus, we check for things like scarring and sunburn. Yep, oranges can sunburn. And we'll make sure you never see it. In fact, we only allow the best oranges, lemons, and grapefruits to reach our shelves. Because when it comes to fresh for everyone, we believe the juice is worth the squeeze. Kroger, fresh for everyone.